When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jack? Are you okay? Are we? Yeah. We're back. What happened? Lost is over, but we have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recaps Talk in Season 5, Episode 6 of Lost 316. I'm Josh Wiggler. I am wearing a dead man's shoes, uh, as is Mike Bloom. Yes, I'm wearing a dead man's toe, in fact. Shout out to Hocus Pocus. <laughs> um, cool. That's that's neat. You're just like <laughs> wearing it on top of I, uh... a toe? Well, the only reason I have that in my head is because I remember one of the first movies we watched with Asher when he was, you know, out in the world. Was Hocus was, Pocus? Was Hocus Pocus. Well, listen, it's it was a little on, scary, you know? know? Well, I mean, listen, he just wasn't taking it all in. Uh, but for as some reason... As far as you know. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe uh, the image of, of the Sanders sisters is, like, uh-huh. uh, imprinted <laughs> on his mind. But I remember that uh, they were talking about, like, putting things in. And isn't like Sarah, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's listening like, oh, a dead man's toe. And so we came up with a song like, oh, the dead man's toe. And we would sing it to him as we bounced him up and down. And he loved it. It was one of the very first songs that we ever composed that he absolutely loved. So I will always have a soft place in my heart for the dead man's toes inside the dead man's shoes, whether they be, you know, black dress shoes or white tennis shoes that Jack Shepard just sort of like scrounged together while in Australia. Um, I don't know. Uh, Father of the year over here, Mike Bloom imbuing his son with a song about dead man's toes as an infant. Uh, where does this stack with Eloise Hawking? Uh, this is my question. This is my yeah, I mean, how do I, why are you talking about like how I how I stack up amongst like all the best daddies versus mm-hmm. all the worst daddies? Yes. I mean, King Daddy Quan yeah. probably creates like an <laughs> orchestra, right, to play a song for Baby Jin. I think that's right. Uh, I think Christian Shepherd would probably do much more inappropriate things. I think that's also uh, correct. Yeah, I think I think Christian Shepherd singing uh, much more either grotesque or lewd songs to his son while he's of the same age. All right, well, we'll find out, um, Mike. They had to go back, and at long last, six episodes into season five, inexplicably, they're back as soon as we start the episode 316, midpoint of season five, as we uh, launch into really the next wave, like a very, uh, I think, a very significant delineation between um, the first five episodes of season five of Lost 
and everything that comes next. I mean, I not to do your job for you, Mike. I do. Please do. I do think like your uh, your whole like um, a season in terms of like act breaks and chapter breaks. Like I think for season five, um, for me, it feels fairly clear, and we're definitely in like this second act right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as everybody comes back to the island in this Jack Shepard flashback episode. This is sort of the reintroduction, Mike, of like traditional flashbacks. It doesn't necessarily feel that way because what we're flashing back to is so recent. But this is one of the things that I love about the time travel season is it's so uh, it's so centrally located on the characters. I think that season five gets like uh, broad swiped as just like the really experimental timey-wimey season. And that's really doing an injustice to just how magnificent of a character-centric season this is, and a large part of that is because we are just so present with them. Um, the fact that we are going to be like on the island with Jack, it's a Jack flashback, but it's just flashing back to like, you know, 36 hours of his life, effectively. And you're going to get a lot of that going with like, uh, with, with whatever happened, happened with Kate, with He's Are You, with Saeed, like the stuff that we are now glimpsing in terms of the tapestry of their lives. We're just right at the core of who they are now and who they are now for many of them is who they are at the end of their lives uh, or at Mm -hmm. least who they are at the end of Lost. Uh, And I think that you really start uh, propelling into that energy here with 316 with a really great character driven episode that I think is probably controversial. I think you and I are a lot higher on this than certainly the average uh, uh, hatchling uh, score uh, once we get to the 4.2 stars later on down the line um but i'll tell you mike i'm 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 just having an incredible time with with season five right now and i'm i'm really hyped to get into this episode with you yeah i'm i'm really excited to get into it because i was really delighted by 316 i do remember watching it for the first time there were definitely some gripes and we talked about this last week right that the episode goes a little too fast i still think that's the case particularly with the second half and we sort of like yada yada through, well, and then everyone else made their way onto the plane. I mean, like you said, we're going to see those backstories later on. But as I mentioned, uh, I think I personally have an idea as to how you might be able to make 316 a big like two hour episode. And maybe that's the way to help remedy some of these problems, because I mean, it's a huge event. It's the return to the island. I, I think it, it. I would not have been mad if they made this a big two-hour episode like they would a usual finale because it's a magnanimous event. Ever since we heard we have to go back and this advent of the Oceanic Six came about, we were waiting to see when this thing would eventually happen. And here it is. But I think, you know, I talked about this last week that I, I'm much more of a character episode guy than I am a plot episode guy i think despite the outward appearance of this being plot based right oh the oceanic six come together and then they land back on the island it is so character centric and josh i might call this the most important jack shepherd episode maybe next to white rabbit interesting in the in the history of the show it actually is like i found a lot of comparisons between white rabbit and this episode because we've talked so much about Jack's overall arc, the man of science versus man of faith. This is an incredibly valuable episode for the Jack character because I think, despite how much we've talked about it and how much we've seen little glimpses of it with him helping Ben to get back to the island, this to me is the signifier of Jack Shepard becoming that man of faith, of becoming inspired by the John Locke of it all and the legacy that he leaves behind, which we'll get into much more in next week's episode. But overall, I would say that. Coming at it from a Jack lens specifically, I think it's a really rich 
episode, there is only one thing in this episode that I actually outwardly do not like, which I'm sure we'll get into. There are some other minor quibbles, but really, I think just by and large, this is a, a very strong episode, especially when we are charting the the route, as you will, of Jack Shepard and how his plane sort of gets intercepted mid-flight. He's not going to Guam. He ends up landing someplace somewhere else. And you mentioned this last week, but really great Matthew Fox episode as well. Yeah, he's he's really spectacular in this one. We're going to talk all about it. We've got a lot to talk about uh, on this one. Um, so w- w- let's let's get into it. Just, of course, the, the quick spiel at the start. It's down the hatch. We want your feedback all the time. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. That is the way to send your stuff in. You can always tweet at myself and Mike as well at Round Howard. That's me at a Mike Bloom type. That's Mike. Or you can talk to us uh, in the Down the Hatch channel on the Post Show Recaps Patron Discord, which you can sign up for patreon.com slash post show recap sign up at that ten dollar a month tier to join the discord um you sign up at any level uh right now by saying forrest gump uh say forrest gump sent me here and we will mark you down for a special something uh so we have i think three people who have been marked (gasps) down i'm keeping track three people let's make it four Uh, at least then eight let's see you know if we can if we can push this number up uh you are you're gonna get something out of it it's gonna be great you're gonna get uh you're gonna get a cool little something in addition to all the amazing things that you get normally when you become a patron of post show recaps uh the down the hatch channel in the discord this week uh has been lit uh we've had a, a lot of very lively discourse in uh, the post-show recaps down the hatch channel, uh, because uh, I guess this is where, where we start getting into it. So um, this this episode, it's 316. It's directed by Stephen Williams. It's written by Lindelof and Cuse. Uh, it comes out February 18th, 2009. Centers on Jack. Um, but the behind the scenes on this is that originally... Um, the episode that we were going to watch here, uh, the way that it was initially going to be aired, was that the life and death of Jeremy Bentham was supposed to air uh, as episode six. And then 316 came uh, uh, seventh in the season. And instead, it's 316 into life and death of Jeremy Bentham. And last week, we talked about this a lot, right? We talked mm-hmm. about, like, is that the right order? That feels kind of strange. Um, like, But even swapping them doesn't feel quite right. And then there was the suspicion of like, well, maybe it's actually the problem is we're in this this like sort of hang up between three one six, the life and death of Jeremy Bentham and Lafleur, uh, that it's this like Jack Lock, this Jack Lock and and Sawyer uh, uh, situation that we've got going on here. We're like much like the sequence of events in the season, time is a little out of order. Maybe the episodes just aren't quite right. And I I said what I'll do is. I'm going to try and watch this in this order that seems to make sense to me. I'm going to watch LaFleur, then I'm going to watch 316, and then I'm going to watch The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham. And one of the ways in which the uh, the Down the Hatch channel and the Poster Recaps Patreon Discord has become so uh, so much richer, uh, Albert, recently, uh, <laughs> is because uh, the, the maestro... Uh, the the man who studies the music of Lost and posts incredible music theory on YouTube about it, Jim Fells, terrific friend of the podcast, recently joined uh, the Poster Recaps Patron uh, Discord and uh, submitted the idea that uh, you I think that you want 
um, namaste in there as well. Um, and so I came up with uh, this this thought that I would, okay, I'll watch LaFleur, then I'll watch 316, then I'll watch Namaste, then I will watch The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham. And a couple days ago, I started doing that. And by the time I reached Namaste, I realized like it's actually not the right time to go to Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham yet. I don't think that that's correct. I think like you need to push forward a little bit further into the season, uh, watch He's Are You, watch whatever happened, happened, and then you go to the life and death of Jeremy Bentham. Like, you really stall that one out for a while. I feel mm. like, Mike, uh, I posted, like, a big essay about this uh, in in the, in the Discord because I had, like, a really banner day of watching Lost this past week where I ended up, because of this uh, machete order of season five, I ended up just binging the whole season in a day. <sighs> I ended up just being like, oh, shit, I, I'm not stopping. Oh, God. Oh, geez. So since we've last talked on the podcast, I went from This Place is Death through the rest of the season. I've watched all of season wow. five from that space of time. Uh, should we come up with a name for this? I suggested the Josh Shede order. <laughs> or should we come up with some more of like a, a weapon localized to Lost? Oh. Like a, a nuclear order uh, or something? The, the Jughead order? I don't know. Yeah, so that's tough because Jughead is the name of an episode of Lost. I know. Uh, so it, 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 we're open to suggestions. Oh, you know what? You know, no, we're going to call it... Can we call it the nuclear option? Sure, the nuclear option. Because it features a nuclear Yeah, I like this. This is the nuclear option. I think that this is the correct way to watch season five of Lost. The season that I already love dearly but like amplified by so much by watching it in this order uh this is how i think you should do it. i think you should watch it exactly as we've watched it so far because you left all the way through this place's death then i do think that you want to watch lafleur then i think you want to watch 316 then you want to watch namaste you want to watch uh he's our you you want to watch whatever happened happened then you watch life and death of jeremy bentham then you watch Dead is Dead through the rest of the season. I'll post this order in the show notes just for anyone who's like, what are you talking about? I need to see that written out. Um, but the galaxy-brained take on why this works, I'll just read my notes back and see if any of this makes sense. Um, <laughs> I think it makes the most sense to go from this place's death to Lafleur. It stabilizes time travel right on the heels of unstable time travel. It locates us in the main setting for the season. It gets us going on James and Juliet really early on, which is important since it's such a significant dynamic shift from the from the norm, um, and it's going to be such a key driver in the end game. It also ends with this huge cliffhanger that Jack and friends are back on the island. But how did they get there? Uh, and so then you watch 316. It answers the how. Uh, you get that context. And then that ends with, with as we know, as we're going to talk about today, the gin reveal. I think you could probably watch LaFleur and 316 in either order, and it would mostly be fine. Uh, though I'd prefer LaFleur before 316. Um, but you keep going with Namaste because it keeps us focused on the present 1977 timeline. It helps right. further dimensionalize the new dynamics, and specifically James and Juliet. Um, another thing it does very effectively, it gets us back into traditional flashback structure for the show. It's useful after being unstuck in time for so long. And it also, very importantly, keeps up the mystery of what happened to Locke, how did he die? Uh, we keep Locke's fate and his presence at arm's length, and it prolongs the big question of, like, can he come back, and if so, how? And what's more, it gets us used to a world without John Locke, lost without John Locke, which is really important because in the final season, you're not dealing with John Locke, you're dealing with a totally different character. So I think like this helps you. It gives you this adjustment period of like, you now have like a big chunk of, of Lost where there is, there's really no Locke to speak of 
at all. I think, uh, what is it, uh, six episodes, basically? Like, uh, he shows up at the yeah. very end of whatever happened, happened. So it ge- it keeps you without lock for a while, keeps you really centrally focused on these characters. Uh, the traditional episode order for season five, it gives you no room there. It's just like, it's going to pop lock back into action next week. Uh, yeah, it's oh, going to say essentially like, oh, don't worry, he's not actually dead. Like, he's back. He, it's too he's soon. Here, don't worry. It's too soon. Uh, it's it's really, really fast. And I think like if you prolong it, like the impact is uh, is is just so much more significant. Um, I think you need to tack He's Are You and whatever happened, happened onto Namaste. It's, it's part of the keep us focused piece. But it also launches us into this arc of like what happens uh, if baby Ben dies, right? Like what happened because he gets shot and he's are you. Whatever happened, happened is all about trying to save his life. Um, it adds some tension to the 2007 storyline. We don't really check in there all that much except for Son and Frank when they go from Hydra to the barracks. Uh, it lets you think that maybe there's a world where Ben does die here. And if so, like, how is that going to mess with the timeline? Is whatever happened, happened really the rule or not? And I think it helps you like getting into that right headspace for when Faraday is going to show up in the variable and suggest like, no, actually we can change things. Cause like now you're watching it in that order and you are suspecting that maybe it can. Um, it was Jim Fells who added that, like the other thing that this does uh, when you when you watch it in this order and you haven't really checked in with Ben and you haven't watched him kill John Locke, you go from this like what happens if baby Ben doesn't make it uh, arc to the life and death of Jeremy Bentham where you find out what happens because of, you know, they saved his life, they saved baby Ben, and this man grew up and murdered John Locke. Uh, mm. So like it instantly like gives you kind of the consequences of that. Um, so the ending of whatever happened happened it brings Locke back into the mix just when you were kind of getting used to the show without him like what does that look like uh, it drops this bombshell when you're not quite looking for it anymore like you get caught off guard uh, it perfectly sets up Bentham uh, we don't know how Locke died yet it's a terrific time to get that showcase and then we see Ben kill him you're kind of like man they probably should have let him die uh, they probably shouldn't have taken him to the others and, and saved his life uh, so it gets us back into Locke now as we're building towards like that big reveal that this isn't Locke this is the smoke monster in the incident um and you go from jeremy bentham straight into dead is dead and you're just like continuing that arc um and once you do that now we're both like caught up on 1977 and 2007 they play perfectly alongside each other and you can watch season five as ordered from that moment forward and everything's just like on parallel tracks um moving forward it was a really deeply enjoyable way to watch Mm. the show it's wild because like i know like the mission statement of like chronologically lost is just like you know sequentially lay everything out in that perfect order. Um, I found that like watching it in this way, you don't need to like excise any scenes. You don't need to reorder any scenes. Like it all plays really, really beautifully on a continuum. Um, And I suspect Mike, that there is like some quality to like, because the time travel components of season five were so complicated and heady to figure out from the writer's room perspective, that there may be like some degree to which that like, they were like, well, what goes like, it's like the Han Solo Chewie thing uh, or like the, the Michael Dawson and Jin Kwan thing. Like this goes there, that goes over there. Like, you know, like not knowing what plugs where, like not knowing where's the right place. We just got to get the ship off the ground. We got to go, go, go. Um, because I, I do think that it's not quite optimized. Uh, the, this like little stretch that we're in right now, I think like kind of unbalances the season to a degree and gives sort of uh, like, the season five haters ammunition because it sort of plays a little bit strangely, but these episodes are all beautiful, staggering, stunning character studies that I think are maybe like disserviced ever so slightly 
by the way in which they unfold. I think this episode order fixes that. This is the end of my Charlie Day uh, crazy science whiteboard rant. Life and death of Pepe Silvia. Uh, I love this. This is a really completely new way to view season five. The tough thing for us, though, is that we're not going to no, be following the nuclear absolutely option. Absolutely not. We so, can't. So this is this is sort of like a formality for other people. Hey, you know what? If you happen to have a day like Josh did a couple days ago and you want to watch the rest of season five, do it in this order. Like if you Try like, it out. If you make that level of Lost junkie where you're just like, I'm listening to this podcast about Lost. I'm following along every every week. Uh, I love the show and care about the show enough that I still like want to hear and engage it, you know, all this time later. Then maybe, just maybe, you are the kind of crazy fan that you'll burn a Saturday, like, just crushing a season of Lost. I really recommend you do it this way. I wish I had known. Um, I wish that I, this had happened for me earlier because I might have suggested let's do it this way. It's far right. too late at this point. Because um, uh, as people might know, as we constantly remind them, when we get to the beginning of season six, we are going to take your recommended. Yeah. This is like a mini nuclear option of watching across the sea at the very beginning of season six, as opposed to where it lands of like, what, like the fourth, third to last episode. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's if maybe if we had that option, if we had told ourselves, if we were Daniel Faraday, told ourselves hunkered up in our bunkers in 2020, hey, you should cover season five like this. Maybe we'll do it. But this is like a little bit of like an, an extra bonus way. You know, what essentially it is, is that we're at the buffet right now. We're pursuing a certain order of meals, but you can load up with these episodes and maybe eat them in a different way. But for the sake of this podcast, we are going to pursue them in the way that they aired chronologically. So we'll start with 316 this week. And keep going with Jeremy Bentham, even if, to your point, Josh, this should be like the fourth or fifth to last episode of season five. Because I, I love this season dearly, but even I have often felt like there's like some like balance issue that's happening. And like, um, like I tend to be lower on the life and death of Jeremy Bentham than most people, I think. Like, it's not my favorite episode. And I think sometimes like it just has always felt like a little rough around the edges but I loved watching it the other day. And I think like a huge piece of it is much like they say, uh, much like John Cochran once said, it's all about timing. Uh, mm. I think uh, for the time travel season... I thought you were going to say, I pooped myself in kindergarten, uh, as John I think Cochran the, once said. <laughs> the time travel season, ironically enough, I do think uh, there is like a matter of timing to consider. Um, and I, I don't know that it's optimal in the episode uh, release order, at least for me. I I could say that for me this really 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 worked. It worked, uh, as Juliet will say. Uh, so that's like my galaxy brain stuff. Uh, we'll put the episode order in the show notes. Um, I'm sure that I will bring it up again because I'm an idiot. Uh, it's, um, no, it's amazing. This is absolutely amazing. I am so happy that again. This is the great thing about losses. Even years after the fact, we're still like finding new ways to appreciate the show on different levels. And for you to do this, you know what? 12 years after season five aired is incredible. We got a dozen years since it first aired. I got to imagine someone else has done this. uh, So I don't want to like take credit for it. Uh, And certainly like Jim fells without like the suggestion, like this doesn't, this didn't happen. Uh, So like for me, I'm just, I'm very grateful to Jim. I'm sure that there are other people who have come up with this before. So like, I don't want to, you know, like uh, say this like an entirely original idea because like I have not verified that. Uh, I just know that it really worked well for me. So I just want to like pass that, that wisdom along like you like there's like the people who like recommend like certain chapter orders from like combining uh a feast for crows and a dance with dragons yeah. and a song of ice and fire like this is sort of uh in in that vein it's like it's minor things that shift 
uh, of just like watching certain episodes in a different order. But I think it, it makes a, a huge difference and I would recommend it for new viewers. Like I would recommend it like for your first time watch. This is this, if I could do it over again, like this is how I'd, I, I would suggest doing it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so well, can we talk about the, the name three one six? Because I, so initially I was not a fan of the name three one six. Again, I, it's a huge event. The Oceanic Six, or at least some version of them, make their way back to the island. I was thinking, like, okay, do we need to name it this? Maybe if we name something like Reboot, because we'll talk about this with the very first scene. Like, this really does feel so reminiscent of the pilot that maybe it calls back to that. Or even call it, like, Departure or Arrival, if you will, or maybe even Departure slash Arrival. But then I realized, Josh... We're going to be talking a lot of religion in this podcast, uh, and apologies in advance for two Jews talking about a butt-ton about Christianity uh-huh. over the course of this podcast, <laughs> yeah. but I saw a line in the good book that said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that is a quote from the book of John 3.16. Yeah, And so once I looked through that, once I was able to put all that together, I realized, yeah, this this title is actually very, very good. Yeah. Uh, so they're really hyping it up. Um, you know, we're, we are in this moment where, like, there's still sort of, like, this unbelievability to the death of John Locke that, like, you just can't take that. We've lost people along the way. We lost Charlie. Mm-hmm. Like, we've lost significant people. But for whatever reason, certainly in that live viewing you just like couldn't tolerate the idea that like John Locke's not dead. And like yep. the show is like really engaging this idea as well. You know, they're going to talk about the resurrection in this episode. Uh there's there's all of the 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 religious symbolism that is that is littered throughout as you're as you're mentioning. Um they're really really going to to go for it. Uh and I think that to your earlier point of how this is an episode that finds Jack uh, as a man of faith, I don't think he's quite there yet. But I think like this is this is the Jack that is like he wants to believe. To borrow a phrase from another show yep. you talk about a lot, uh, very much so. It's 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 you know oftentimes the first step is the most important yeah. step, whether it's to conquering an addiction or just you know uh, towards a different field or a different sense of understanding. And for a while, you have John Locke pushing jack in this direction and he just digs his heels in the sand right like no i'm planting my feet in cement right now you can't have me go here i don't agree with you we we should be able to leave the island you're a crazy man this is the first step that jack takes with those cement shoes towards this idea of not only believing that they have to go back to the island but also believing in what john locke had sort of espoused to him previously so that when we run into season six and it turns out that John Locke is indeed dead and here's this guy that sort of like is within his body, we're going to build to this moment where we're, Jack is going to defend Locke, uh, you know, in the very end, the end of the show. And I do think this is a critical step for him, much like Locke was the one to help, you know, nudge Jack in the direction of becoming a leader back in White Rabbit. Here he is in 316 nudging jack even though he wasn't able to do so uh you know when he was living at least in death now he was helping nudge jack into that direction of yeah this place is special you did it uh, and now you're gonna start to believe in what's happening yeah um i i really love this one i think that it's just it's it's a really exceptional jack showcase it really does do all the things you're saying just like pushing him so much closer to that point 
of where he gets in um, the series finale, certainly. I think it's even in the season finale, he's going to have this conversation with Richard Alpert, where Alpert's like, um, you know, can you tell me more about John Locke? Because uh, he showed up saying he's special. I've visited him a couple times. Doesn't seem that special. And Jack basically says to him, like, if I were you, I wouldn't give up on him. Uh, so, like, Jack saying something like that to Richard Alpert in, you know, 1977 is not insignificantly, um, you know, responsible probably to some degree of, like, Locke becoming embroiled with the island. Uh, so, like, there is this other quality, too, that, like, and maybe Jack even, like, knowing it in that moment of, uh, like, I do have to start believing because, like, I, like Saeed, am a man who believes what I see, and what I'm seeing exactly. right now is me telling this person in 1977 that John Locke is special, and in 2004, during this whole time that I'm going to be in such dire conflict with John Locke, we're in each other's lives, no small part, thanks to me, like, basically... Uh, being one of his references, <laughs> you yeah. know, like so, like it, that journey is starting now, and it's a real, it's a really, really strong journey for a character like Jack, who is often really, really frustrating, and I think maybe even has frustrating mo- moments in in this episode. But there is like a breeziness to him from the jump, you know, uh, literally as we like start talking about the episode, Mike, that like he wakes up in the jungle. We're kind of like repeating a lot of like the beats from. I mean, we are the the shots and the music, mm-hmm. as Jim Fells point out, is beat for beat how pilot opens, which is again why I think it's it's such a fun like almost calling it reboot could be an interesting title as well because at least the way that Jack wakes up is incredibly familiar. But what I love about it is, yeah, it's familiar, but there's a difference to it, and you see that in Matthew Fox's performance where. The first time we see it in pilot, it is complete shell shock, right? It is trauma. It is like, what the hell happened? Where am I? He's wandering through the jungle. We see Vincent here. And this is all on Matthew Fox. He looks happily stunned. He looks like a surprise party just happened in his dingy old apartment when he walked in. That this actually happened. He actually did it. And you really see the distinct difference in tone from those two extremely incredibly different or similar situations and how there's a, there's a world apart between those two Jack Shepherds that yes, he's in the exact same clearing, but he has a totally different headspace right now. Yeah. Uh, he's just like, okay, I have been like raging against ever coming back here. And then I started raging against everything, keeping me from coming back here. And I believed with all of my heart that like, we were not supposed to leave we need to go back. We have to go back. Okay, we're back. What now? And so, like, the first things that he that he does is just, like, he wakes up. Same deal. Uh, I think, like, vaguely bamboo forest adjacent. Certainly, like, the waterfall. I think that this is... I think that this is uh, close to the heart of the island. Uh, like, I would Im- yeah, is I would this not where so. the waterfall dumps out Jack's body by the end of the show? Uh, where it, uh, no, well, I, well, I think that's more of like a creek bed, right? Not like a deep pool that we're going to see here with Hurley. Yeah, I have to, I have to restudy the tape. I think there's, it would be beautiful if it, if it is the same place. Uh, I think would be, would be really neat, sp- specifically because like Hurley is here, uh, like uh, all, all of this. Like he just jumps in. He just, he effortlessly just like gets back into it. Um, Yeah, and and that's another great callback to the pilot, right? Like, again, the pilot was having Jack immediately jump in, responding to a call for help. We get it here, too. In this case, it's from Hurley. And speaking of Kate's, something that I really took away from this episode that I hadn't beforehand, 
Eloise Hawkins is going to talk about it, but the idea of proxies. Now, we're going to get into it with the shoes and how maybe uh, the, the, that proxy talk was not necessarily truthful. But I think there is something cool to this idea of, okay, if we are sort of rebooting the, uh, the fateful 815 flight, are people taking on different roles? And I know that the pilot, right, it was who went on that first mission, Jack, Kate, and Charlie. We have Jack and Kate, and we do have a fun-loving guy carrying a guitar case. And so I don't know if this is completely, uh, you know, deliberate, but I, I do feel like in a certain manner of speaking, Hurley is kind of the Charlie proxy yeah. right now. And then I think I it's, that. it's a, a really interesting choice to also have the three of them here, because let's also remember that at the end of this place's death, that Hurley and Kate were two of the people that we knew were not in the church Right. So it also sets up this mystery of like, wait, how did they get on the plane? Hurley was in jail. Kate said, I would never do this. So how did they get here? I think the choice of these three specifically, and we'll get Saeed brought in later on. I know we'll have a lot to talk about with, okay, why does Sun not make it back into the 70s? But I think starting off with these three and to have Hurley serve as the Charlie proxy is incredibly interesting. Yeah. I I love that. I think that's terrific. Uh, I think what's also terrific is that like, the the way that this connects like yeah jack is like racing off into action again but where that was like born out of like fear and adrenaline like this time it's like out of purpose and adrenaline like he's not fearful even when like kate is unconscious and he swims over to her he just like, kind of like swims over with the purpose you know like yeah it, it's not like oh shit oh shit oh shit uh you know it's not like the screaming for someone to get him a pen or whatever like yeah go get me a pen like there isn't that level of um of urgency behind it not that it's not an urgent situation it's just that like i think that like there's almost like he feel like he gives off that predestined quality that like he feels like this is a guy who is not resigned to his fate but is like okay i'm in my fate now what what's next to that point Jack has this time where he jumps off the waterfall. Uh, This might be actually his first time at the waterfall, considering that Kate and Sawyer sort of broke it in. But he has this shot, right, where he, like, dives in and rises out of it. And this is sort of a trope we've seen a good amount, I would say, in pop culture. And again, going back to the religious discussion, I feel like a lot of times it's used to symbolize of some sect a baptism, right? This, This idea of okay, you have sort of like been forgiven for your sins, your past transgressions, and you have now started on a new path towards a new and better life where you believe in something anew. And again, maybe I'm reading into it a bit much that it's just a freaking dive, but that's what I'm seeing here is Jack Shepard essentially gets baptized by the islands of the water. And this is, uh, you know, this is even weeks before and episodes before he's actually going to drink from the waters of the island to become even more imbued with its power. Yeah, I love that. There's a lot here. It's a very, very rich episode. Uh, Kate is going to say, are we back? And Jack's like, yeah, we're back. And she's like, how? And he's like, well, let me tell you a story. Uh, and we flash back to 46 hours ago. Uh, and we pick up immediately with like, all right, let's get started. Yeah, we're finally Ellie's getting Hawking. started. Yes. Uh, it's, we've been waiting here on Post Show Recaps for so long. Because uh, we've just been getting started. And now, here we go. Uh, so, Ellie's going like, to take them through the church, take them down to the lamppost station, uh, which has it's got like this huge honking fallout shelter door on the outside of it. 
There's, of course, the pendulum that swings from side to yep. side. There's the flashing coordinates. There's this, the chalkboard. This is, it's an incredibly impressive it's set. A cool set. To the, to the point where I've always thought, like, damn it, why don't we use this more? Like, this is by far the coolest looking Dharma station we'll ever see. Uh, you know, maybe not live in it. I would imagine that if the button didn't drive Desmond crazy, I'm sure a, a swinging big ass pendulum would. But just like the decoration on it is so awesome. And I also love the fact that the lamppost is a shout out to the Chronicles of Narnia. Because I do believe, right, it's when you go through the wardrobe or wherever, whatever portal you want to, you show up in front of a lamppost. So when it comes to, you know, appearing and disappearing between quote-unquote worlds, as it were, you want to go to the lamppost. Yeah, I love that. That's great. The lamppost is very cool. And it's, it's, it's you know, we've been talking about, like, the special qualities of L.A. So, like, to find out, like, about the electromagnetic energy and, like, the lamppost being a piece of that uh is is cool and like there is just like there's a great like world building element with the introduction of the lamppost that never really gets like massively elaborated upon in the yeah. show but it is just like the kind of fun stuff to, like when you start thinking about like the characters who survived this series and like the characters who came before too like what does life look like for them and their interactions with all of the different special places on the island i think is uh is is really really neat eloise is going to say this is how the dharma initiative found the island in the first place. Now, Mike, we are then going to get into uh, uh, a series of scenes. Uh, as far as the sounds go, this is a very top-heavy episode. Uh, yes. We are going to like basically uh, for like we're gonna we're gonna listen to like the next like several scenes in a row because there's just so much in here, and we're gonna chunk them out. We'll stop down. We'll have conversations about them. Um, but just like this is like from the front half, like the words of these characters. This is where it's like, for me, like, I think we really want to like focus in on what they're saying and like bring them into the podcast. So let's start with Eloise giving them the spiel about what the lamppost is. What's its purpose? Uh, sound number one. Did you know about this place? No. No, I didn't. Is he telling the truth? Probably not. All right, I apologize if this is confusing, but let's pay attention, yes? The room we're standing in was constructed years ago over a unique pocket of electromagnetic energy. That energy connects to similar pockets all over the world. The people who built this room, however, were only interested in one, the island. Yes, the island. They'd gathered proof that it existed. They knew it was out there somewhere, but they just couldn't find it. Then a very clever fellow built this pendulum on the theoretical notion that they should stop looking for where the island was supposed to be and start looking for where it was going to be. What do you mean, where it was going to be? Well, this fellow presumed, and correctly as it turned out, that the island was always moving. Why do you think you were never rescued? Now, 
while the movements of the island seem random, this man and his team created a series of equations which tell us with a high degree of probability where it is going to be at a certain point in time. Windows, as it were, that while open, provide a route back. Unfortunately, these windows don't stay open for very long. Yours closes in 36 hours. Josh, I have a theory about who that very wise man was. Uh, please tell me it's Saul the Drillman. It might be Saul Drillman, <laughs> but the one I was thinking of, maybe it's because he got Survivor nerds in my head. But yeah, when it was I me. I built the pendulum. It took a lot of joy. I had to, uh, to uncover precious metals from the center of the Earth. Yeah, I actually was the one who discovered the electromagnetic <laughs> energy because I drilled. Yeah, and, oh, look, it, 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 the it was terrifying. Nearly took my eyebrows off. Uh, no, <laughs> I was I have thinking metal you know, eyebrows. The the one the the way that Eloise was describing this person, he essentially came up with, for lack of a better term, an algorithm, right, to predict where the windows of the island being open would show up. Could this, is my, this very my smart man person, Valenzetti? I mean, could it be Christian Hubicki himself? <laughs> is Christian? Uh, we're focused on the wrong Christian. Uh, it should be Christian. Uh, not it is a very, it's a, yeah, it's a very Christian episode in general. And so that's the first thing I thought of. It's Christian Hubicki. Listen, he could build an algorithm for a slide puzzle. Why can't he build an algorithm to figure out when this random island's going to keep popping up at random coordinates around the world? You know, I, we bring this in. I think like a lot of it is like techno mumbo jumbo. But like the 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 thing that's like important here was like this is a moment where Lost is delivering an answer uh, and like confirming yep. a theory, basically. Of uh, like in season four, we see the island move through time and space, uh, and in season four, it keeps being verified that like you need to follow this bearing or like uh, you know like in in multiple points, it's like follow this bearing, uh, and like it's like so specific. Uh, but like you hadn't had it like outright confirmed that even if it's moving through time, is it moving like through space? with some regularity uh and like i think that there were like crazy theories of like the island was sentient and like the Mm -hmm. island was a creature uh and like those things ultimately aren't disproved by the show um and if anything like maybe like bolstered a little bit by this revelation that yeah this thing moves it's constantly moving uh it's always moving it's in it's in frequent motion um so it was a, it was a big reveal in this moment uh that uh that the island is mobile. Yeah, and now let's talk about this one line. Uh stop looking for where it's supposed to be and start looking for where it's going to be. All I wrote in my jo- in my notes Josh is that feels thematic, but I have no idea how. <laughs> yeah, I think like it's like it is the 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 science versus faith component for sure. Uh it's like well, this is mathematically where it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like grounded and locked in in this place near, you know, however many miles away from Fiji, roughly, and like in the Pacific. Um, but uh, how about you like stop thinking about that and start thinking about the fact that this thing's freaking magic. And if it's magic and like uh, like scientifically anomalous, uh, then perhaps you should be looking at like this other place and like you should be taking the leap alongside the island. So I think like that is that is very much of a piece 
uh, with the themes of the show. I do love the line, and this is always like when Lost like turns a card over. Like it always feels kind of clumsy to me, to the point where like now for me it's endearing. Um, it's, <laughs> it's like where Eloise goes like. Yeah, the island's always moving. Why do you think you were never rescued? And it's like, yeah, but it's like moving like glacially, right? Like it's not yeah. moving like it's like a light jog. It's uh, not. This is not a night crawler, right? <laughs> Doing like bam, fall over the place. Well, maybe to some degree, like ultimately, it is like maybe it is like periodically you know, doing that. Um, cause like, it does like wind up in certain places. We've talked about this before with like the black rock stuff that like, it's like in places that like are kind of geographically odd. Uh, but like, I don't know, like, why don't you think you were, ne- you were ever rescued? It's like, that feels like such like a wink to like the conspiracy theorists of like, they were never rescued. Cause the Island's always moving. Like I love when lost, like just like attempts to like singularly answer a question with a, with a revelation as mm. if it doesn't just like uh it's a like not sufficient and b it just like opens up more questions uh so i love eloise delivering this with this piece of dialogue that like is supposed to just like be taken as like this is why they were never rescued as opposed to like every other factor in the world as to why they were never rescued i just love the line very much it cracks me up <laughs> and it's a reminder of like yes this is why your raft didn't work back when you were still baby faced in season one and you tried all this effort it never was going to work yeah Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, so that's the first portion of her speech. It's interrupted uh, by, by another fellow traveler with this crew who has heard enough uh desmond david hume is ready to rage quit the lamppost uh and it's a it's a really great moment in this scene so we'll play it in full this is like among desmond's final really significant pieces of season five let's listen in i'm I'm sorry excuse me (laughs) am i really hearing this that's what this is about you're all going back to the island willingly Yes. Why are you here, Desmond? I came here to deliver a message. Daniel Faraday, your son, sent me here. He wanted me to tell you that he and all the people on the island need your help. He said that only you could help him. He didn't say Jack. He didn't say son. He didn't say Ben. He said you. But I am helping, dear. Consider the message delivered. 
I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Desmond, but the island isn't done with you yet. This woman cost me four years of my life, four years that I'll never get back, because you told me that I was supposed to go to that island. That it was my bloody purpose. You listen to me, brother. And you listen carefully. These people, they're just using us. They're playing some kind of game and we are just the pieces. Whatever she tells you to do, ignore it. You say the island's not done with me? Well, I'm done with the island. Josh, I love how Desmond hates Eloise Hawking. <laughs> so much. El- but Eloise Hawking does not give a crap about Desmond, yeah. on the other hand. To the point where, right after the scene, Eloise just goes like, hmm, all right, moving on, here's what you need to do. Like, doesn't even regard the, as you said, rage quit, where Desmond's like, I won't even give a GG. I'm exiting out of the lobby right now. And Desmond and Eloise like, okay, let's go to another match right now. Who cares about that mm-hmm. little baby who just left? Yeah, uh, yeah. he sees that like he's running a dungeon with a bunch of noobs, and he's like, nope. And he just like hops out and leaves them without a healer. Uh, like a total bullshit move. Uh, but in his mind, he's like, I've run enough dungeons with noobs. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I think Desmond's perspective here is really interesting, right? Because especially with the connection to Eloise Hawking, as much as he ends up going along with that decision to break things off with Penny and Flashes before your eyes, as he vocalizes, I think he does seem to blame her for the punishment he has sort of endured. So when he sees her, that like triggers him all over Deeply, again. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, when I, the quote that I really like from this is these people, they're just using us. They're playing some kind of game and we're just pieces in it. Is he wrong? I don't think so, especially considering the way season six plays out. Yeah. I think he is um, to the extent of we are just the pieces you know like i think that that phrasing uh does a disservice to their importance you know i think that like they are parts of the equation um their participation in these events um you know matters tremendously uh this event doesn't happen without their involvement and it's fated to some degree that they have to be involved uh, so I think like there's ways in which he's right. And then I think that there are ways in which he's wrong, um, which I think is, uh, is kind of like a lovely thing in the grand tapestry of the Desmond David Hume story. Uh, I think that this is a good time to like, uh, stop down on a couple of points about Desmond. One of them short, one of them long. Um, the short, this comes from the great Brent the shower man, uh, who says, I notice how Desmond walks straight through the center of the pendulum area when he exits the lamppost. I always laugh to myself thinking about him just getting decked by the pendulum before he leaves. <laughs> Jimmy Lennon, pendulum. <laughs> pendulum. Yeah, do you think Jimmy Lennon uh, created the lamppost? He's that very smart man. Like, he's he can wield a... Man, this guy sounds like an absolute dream. Yeah. Hopefully he's uh, not settled down. Yeah, I mean, that's also him, like, making a mockery of this, too, right? He's like, oh, I'm going to walk all over your sacred map. I don't give a crap about what's happening. Yeah. We're not going to see Desmond for a while. We will see, like, the immediate aftermath of, like, Ben trying to kill Desmond. We're going to see that in this episode. But we're not going to we're not going to check in with him for a while. We're only going to see him, I think, two more times this season, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so we're going to see him in Denon's is Dead and The Variable, both of which he only has, like, 
one or two lines. The only significant thing he does is beat the crap out of Ben. But this is sort of like this a is curtain it. call for for Desmond Hume in season five in a pretty significant way. Um, so so Mike, we got uh, uh, the, our great friend of the podcast Riley wrote yes. like a really significant um, piece of writing about why he is so deeply in favor of the Desmond storyline. I'm wondering if you if you wanted to do the honors of of reading some of this mike um i don't know how much we want to do we could read all of it uh some of it but but you and i have been like kind of like out on the season five desmond story to a certain degree um and i think that riley uh, brought up a lot of salient points about why desmond's story such as it exists in season five is actually really valuable and services the greater narrative and uh certainly like individually the character but also the greater narrative of the show i think it's worth getting into here this feels like sort of like this is the time to do it we're about to basically yeah. say goodbye to the character yeah, exactly there's no other time to do it like the present so here's my time to monologue folks here we go this is from riley here's my defense of desmond's season five storyline because i think it is still pretty damn good and also adds thematic weight and thematically is important when examined in comparison with season six and also has merit for desmond as a character now am i claiming this is the best desmond story no Season 3, Season 4, and Season 6 are all better, with Season 4 being basically perfect, but Season 5 is still a quote-unquote great Desmond story. When I watched the show and binged it, I never bought that Desmond could just sail off into the sunset after Season 4. And that comes from one simple reason. If anything goes wrong, Desmond Hume will be my constant. I knew, because of that, that Desmond wasn't gone for good. I come into Season 5 fully expecting Desmond would still be a main character. Everything with Daniel and Desmond happens, and to me, it is a culmination of that storyline set up in Season 4 that had to be answered. After this storyline wraps up, I actually believed the Desmond story could be wrapped up and done in Season 5, save for a cameo or final appearance in Season 6 off-island. Desmond actively chooses to be done with the island and fulfills what Faraday wanted from him, and then flips off the main story of Lost to go be happy with Penny. There are seemingly no loose ends here. But then... In season six, when he is revealed to be kidnapped and taken to the island, it shocks and horrifies me because I didn't see it coming and it adds to the tragedy of Desmond. I didn't expect him to be here because his story was seemingly done after season five in a way it wasn't after season four. So the twist of him being taken to the island blows me away and is more effective because of season five. Story-wise, I think it is important that what this storyline does is it gives more impact in that scene where everyone meets up at the church. It feels like all the different storylines converging from off-island. But also, Desmond is saying to them, and to the audience, that this mission is basically a suicide mission and crazy. And most of the people going on this mission are not coming back. Not only that, but Faraday thinking Desmond could help and impact things through time travel is shown to be wrong. Desmond didn't change anything. It was already happening because that is how time travel works. This shows that Faraday is wrong, which is vital because Faraday is going to continue to be wrong about changing the past, which is going to get him killed by his own mother. Lastly, my major point, I think this whole story plays so goddamn well into a major season 6 theme I got, which was Destiny versus 3 Will. In season 5, time travel essentially acts as destiny. You can't change what happened, whatever happened, happened. These tragic, destined events all occur because they always happened. In Season 6, we are fresh out of time travel. All the destined events that had to happen already happened. And now we are in the endgame. Now these characters have agency and free will and can define the ending of this story. Mr. Destiny himself, Jacob, 
is an idiot. Riley hates and, Jacob so much. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Uh, we're going to have many essays yeah. to come once we get to the end He's of season five. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. And basically bungles up who next the next leader should be. And everything destined from the Jacob side of things is wrong. Hurley, the right man for the job, is the embodiment of free will. He's just a good dude who gets the job done because his actions, his choices, who he is as a person, just by being Hurley, by using his free will, shows that he should lead the island, not destiny like Jack, who dies for the island. Desmond Hume is a character who, con- who constantly battles with destiny in the name of free will. He is trying to achieve his destiny, prove he is a good man, but it ends with him stranded on an island, pushing a button to save the world. Through all of season three, Destiny is telling him Charlie is going to die, and Desmond fights against that, fights against Destiny and through those actions. And through Charlie's actions, through free will, they lead Penny to the island, even if Charlie does die due to Destiny. In the end, he escapes the island to be with the woman he loves. In season five, we see him as the embodiment of free will. He's just living on a boat with the woman he loves, raising his son Charlie. Then Destiny comes knocking again, just like we knew it would. So Desmond sees it though through because he's a good person. But when we get to that scene in this episode at the church and they're going, quote, back to the island of destiny, basically, Desmond says, no way, this is stupid, I'm out, and he chooses free will. When Destiny forces Desmond back in season six, the crux of that finale is to save Desmond, give him back his free will. Jack, who is all about destiny, saves free will. Jack dies. Desmond is free to go back to Penny. Hurley, free will personified, leads the island and all is finally right. Desmond's season five story is setting up the themes of season six, which is, in a nutshell, free will over destiny. I really love that. Uh, I, re- I really love that. I think for me, like much like I think it's like it's not like faith over science. It's like faith and science. I think that there yeah. is a degree to me that it's, it's not free will over destiny. I think it's these two things working in concert with each other. Uh, and I think like that's really represented in like the end of the show with like the, like the multi-denominational stuff in the church. Exactly. Uh, it's this idea of like uh, everything collects into one basin at the end like of the Like everything matters. Yeah, exactly. Like this is where it all goes. It all comes together. And so like I think like that's playing. But I, I this really recolored how I viewed Desmond's uh, uh, like outwardly slight role and like objectively like just by screen time slim role in season five. And like I, all, I can't be the guy who gets mad uh when like a show uh d- never lets a character just like leave it has like 24 did this all the time where they just like had to kill everybody no one could ever just go away mm-hmm. uh or like it was very rare people like if they had to leave the show they just had to get killed off so like i can't be the person who's like that's so annoying you have you, you have to have other creative solutions than just like killing people off uh and i can't be that and and also be the person who's like mad that they uh like reduce the amount of desmond on the show especially when like the reasons that he is held at arm's length this season um have these like fascinating layers that you can pick apart i think riley did a really really effective job of of explaining that uh and and thank you for reading it mike uh i think uh it's worth putting here is like this is really like our last big chance to talk about desmond for a long time I really appreciate a lot of the points that Riley brought up. And I think what I'm realizing is I think where he and I might diverge comes from a couple of different points to reference one of his earlier points when he said that basically I always thought that Desmond was going to come back for season five. I think one of the reasons why I'm disappointed with Desmond in season five and six is because I personally didn't. We talked about this in Jughead, right? That I felt like I personally felt like there was a distinct end point 
at season four. And despite Desmond Hume being my constant, again, we talked about it in the constant that I never thought it was a person as much as it was a concept. So I didn't necessarily like this almost felt like an epilogue to me that that wasn't necessary. And I still do kind of feel that. But that's, again, coming from me approaching season five saying like, okay, we've reached the end of the story. What more do we need? As opposed to Riley saying like, okay, there's a little bit extra for Desmond to do. I do think that really helps color how you view the character. I also think there's a, admittedly, a, listen, uh, you know, I'm throwing a stone in a glass house here. There's a lot of extrapolation here over essentially like two episodes of material. And I think that's one of my other axes to grind is, as Riley's pointing out, there's a lot of really rich material in here to divulge from what Desmond's doing. I would have loved to see it. I would have loved to see any of the stuff this guy was talking about vocalized here. And again, some of it can be implicit, but I feel like it's not even implicit in what they show. This just feels to me like, a, okay, we're going to bring Dame Desmond to LA because Ben's going to try to kill Penny and Desmond will have this moment where he sort of storms out. It has meaning behind it, but we're almost like assigning meaning to it. I, I wish that if the creators did indeed catch wind of some really fantastic stuff that Riley is talking about, about how Desmond really vacillates uh, between free will and destiny, I'll be candid. I, I wish it was vocalized. Uh, I wish it was underlined more. Uh, don't do like explain to me like I'm five, but I feel like that's such a, a cool idea. And we have so many lines and scenes, uh, even in this episode, that embody a lot of thematics from the characters. It feels like we're missing an opportunity if we do not dig more into these themes. Yeah, uh, I hear that. I hear both sides of the of the pendulum, as it were. Uh, I find <laughs> as myself it clocks you in the head. Yeah, I find myself at the center of the lamppost, uh, uh, ready to be to be hit. Uh, I think I ultimately, I don't know. I don't know who I side with more. Uh, I think that Riley brought up a really uh, a lot of really great points. I'd love to hear from the masses. Do you guys have more thoughts on on Desmond's yeah. role? Uh, in season five and like the remainder of of Lost, because I think I do feel like I'm I'm somewhat converted by by Riley's take here. Uh, Riley has a lot of great takes. Look, yeah. I'm I'm never right. I'm always wrong. That's so I'm not sure true. I'm wrong here. That's but I def- but I want I want to hear from more people. Yeah, I want to hear from more people as well. Um, including let's hear more from Eloise Hawking. Uh, because like now we're gonna get into some of the stuff that like I think uh leaves some people feeling like a little raw about how they get back to the island. And again, it's just another. I know we're still in the lamppost, and um, we're an hour into the podcast. What podcast did you think you were listening we're, to, folks? It's down the head. We're finally getting started here. Yeah. Like, we got to spend. A, there's Let's a big. Get it's, started. It's an expo. It's an expo <laughs> dump. Like this is what Eloise Hawking is giving us. So we have to. We have to wade through everything. So like she's gonna like give them like okay. So here's how you get back. It's kind of ridiculous. So just bear with me. Uh, so let's listen in sound number three. The binder in your hands shows all the air routes that fly over the coordinates where I believe the island will be in little more than a day from now. There's a commercial airliner flying from L.A. to Guam that's going to go right through our window. Ajira Airways, flight 316. If you have any hope of the island bringing you back, it must be that plane. You all need to be on it. It must be that flight. If you want to return, you need to recreate as best you can 
the circumstances that brought you there in the first place. That means as many of the same people as you are able to bring with you. And what if we can't get anyone else to come with us? What if we're it? All I can tell you is the result would be unpredictable. So that's it. We just get on that flight and we just hope that it works. That's all. No, that's not all, Jack. At least not for you. So yeah, this is a bit of a sticking point that Lost fans have had through the years, right? Eloise's declaration of, oh, it must be as similar as it was when you went on the first time. Though, Josh, I know you and I did some talking offline, and I think you have your own theory about how maybe this isn't a con, but Eloise might be doing some manipulation well, at here. The, at the very least, I think that this is a, a way you could view it. So, like, there's there's a couple of things that you could do. Like, you could just take this at face value, and you could just buy the show being like, you have to repeat the circumstances, and that's how you get back, uh, and, like, that's that's how everyone's going to be able to get back to the island, and you could be like, okay. And like you're <laughs> you're on you're on board, you're on a Jira three one six. You're with the show, uh, or like if it gets you really mad, then you're like that's so stupid, and you just leave it there. And either like you're able to move on with Lost, or you're not. Or um, there's there's this. I was like trying to think of like is there like some version of like you can have your cake and eat it too type of interpretation here. Um, and so I'll try and talk through like some of like what I was thinking while I was watching the episode this past week. Uh, and, and we can see if we can't just like forge this together, Mike. Um, <laughs> let's see what we could do. I promise Saul the Drillman is not involved. Although maybe, maybe actually he maybe. is. Uh, all right. <laughs> I'm not even kidding necessarily. All right. So, so they, they've got the coordinates. They know they've got like this exact window of like, where is the island going to be? We know that the island has this strange relationship with time and space. And so like, maybe like some of the stuff that they're able to study, with um with uh through the lamppost is like when are there these moments where the island has like this uh this tremendous intersection between time uh-huh. and space right like when does it have like that sweet spot nexus point where uh like people can um can find themselves like really in lockstep with the island's uh unique properties um and maybe it's something where like uh the candidates specifically are like people who've been like touched by Jacob basically people who've been chosen who have sort of like that um on high leadership um like contact uh from the 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 man in charge himself um like coursing through them like that level of destiny that level of like you've been selected literally by the island that like draws them there because like you do have to accept that to some extent i think with the show in terms of what they show you with the instant though i think much like with the loom there are some threads we can pull at there (laughs) um so we also know that whatever happened happened and what happens from eloise's experience is she's going to at the very least she's going to meet jack she's going to meet kate yep. she will meet saeed um she will meet these people freshly after having killed daniel faraday and she's going to you know like her whole plot engine 
is she needs to recreate all those circumstances and make sure that they happen so that if this theory of her son's is correct, they can change the future and her son won't have to die. That's like basically what's going on with her. Like she needs to like maintain the timeline very, very specifically, very, very, very carefully, very, very, very methodically so that these people go back in time. She kills her son and then they carry out the mission. They blow up the nuclear bomb and it works. Uh, right. And that's and that's why, you know, again, we talked about this at the end of the lie. But here she repeats when Jack asks, you know, what happens? She basically says the result would be unpredictable, which essentially means like the entire timeline collapses if this doesn't happen. Right. And like she wants the timeline to collapse, but like uh, she wants it to collapse, like by them, like changing it so that like Faraday doesn't have to die and she doesn't have to make that terrible mistake uh, is basically what she's going for, I think. Um, so she knows that they go back. She knows that they go back to the 70s, and we've talked about this, like, sort of, like, whatever happened, happened race. Like, everybody wants to be the person that sends them back. Everybody yeah, who's wants... Gonna be the, who's the last person whispering in their ears? Who wants to... Who Who's going to be the person that, like, they know that they go back, they know that that happens, if they all are, like, ardent believers in the timeline, and whether they believe it or not, the rules of the show do make it clear that whatever happened, happened. Uh, so they're gonna go back. Uh, it is like it is fated. It is destined. Uh, their free will is tested in season six when you know there's no more like they went back to account for, and it's now just coasting on present. But right now there is the entirety of like these Dharma days that need to be accounted for. Um, so Eloise is going to be the the whisperer here and put them on this plane that is going to be flying overhead at this unique intersection in time. I think like the you need to recreate it as best you can the circumstances stuff. Like I can take or leave. Um like I think like the plane is there and it's going to like zap you back to the island and it's going to get you back to the island. I think is enough. And then I think that like them going back for me like I feel like it could have a lot less to do with like you've recreated the circumstances and a lot more to do with um uh like the people who get sent back in time are candidates uh jack kate whose name is crossed off but maybe not yet um although i guess like she has aaron so technically her name should be crossed off but she was at least at a time a candidate mm-hmm. uh and jacob will say to her like it's just a name on a cave like you don't have to like you know the yeah. job could still be yours um that like jacob uh that jack kate hurley and saeed, saeed they're the ones that go back son doesn't does this underline the idea that Jin's the candidate and not Sun? That's kind of shitty. Uh, but like maybe you take it that way, and that's why she doesn't get to get zapped back. So like they've got like this this draw that's pulling the back, and also it's just like they go. Like they do go. They have to they have to go back because that is how the timeline works. And I think that like some of this, like, you need to recreate it the best you can is almost like just like buy like some of the smoke and mirrors and let me give you some like mumbo jumbo purpose to like kind of like boost like your your faded qualities here like what she's going to say next to jack which we'll listen in on of this like lock has to be your proxy you need to go and get the shoes i feel like this is just like which is ridiculous i think it's just like more about like boosting jack into this place of like everything happens for a reason you really got to be all in on this stuff because by the time that i meet you you're amped up and you believe so like this is me like pushing you toward that and that may be as much for eloise's own peace of mind as it is for jack um so these are some of the thoughts that i had about is it my Mm -hmm. favorite thing on the show it's not 
Um, is there are there ways that like I can sleep at night and still enjoy this stuff? Yeah, uh, like this was this was a of a piece with that. No, I I really like that. At least seeing it through those eyes, because let's face it, the you have to recreate the circumstances is bullcrap, absolute bullcrap. Yeah, because I you have buy. things like. Well, Aaron wasn't on board, but they were still able to go. There were all these other people that were had died that were candidates that were on board 815, weren't on 316. An entire new group of people are on 316, yet it's fine. Uh, so I, just, like, I take that, that out, right? You know, like... Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I, I love the read so much better that this is... Again, this is Eloise sort of almost taking a page out of Ben Linus's book of essentially being like, I'm going to convince you into the idea of the prestige, right? Into what the magic trick is, much like the man at the retirement home, so that then you'll want to believe in the magic as well. And it's a weird-ass idea, the idea of like, well, he, this guy is serving the place of your father. You could just be like, well, Locke is dead, and so he's going to come with you too, because he also left the island. Uh, you could easily go ahead with that logic. Maybe it's a little bit extra to say, well, he must be wearing your father's things and he's taking your dad's place. Let's just completely pile onto your daddy issues some more, Jack, but... I think it is 100% the better read to have this just be Eloise knows the situation and this is just her trying to convince them, you know, to to get really on board quite literally. Something else I'll add onto that is then you ask like, okay, Ben and son, she doesn't know that they go back in time, right? Like they get catapulted forward along with Frank Lapidus. Why does she want them to get aboard the plane? Let me point out Benjamin Linus is in a stark rivalry with Charles Widmore. Sun Quan is now working in leagues, but also sort of having like a cautious, cold relationship with Charles Widmore as well. I think there is a realm of possibility where Eloise, who in and of herself is connected to Charles Widmore, might want to get some threats off the table. And so, hey, if I happen to put them on that plane as well, convince them that they have to go back because they came from the island too, that's fantastic as well. That is killing two birds with one big old pendulum. Also, though, like, if, like, her goal ultimately is that, like, Jack, Hurley, Kate, and Saeed have to go back, uh, then, like, she needs to convince them at all costs, and those are the ones that really need to go. And then, like, Jack shows up with Ben and Son, and she has an opportunity to talk to Jack. And, like, there's a reason why, like, she talks to him additionally would be, like, I re- he's the, like, if Son and Ben choose not to go for whatever dumb reason, fine. Like, that Right, if, that they, would if, work. if they pull That's a Desmond fine, and they walk off, it's not, they're not really part of the big plan. They don't go back to the 70s, so it's okay but if he's, they don't But come. he's gotta go. Hurley's gotta go. Like, these people, they gotta go. Uh, like they really, they really gotta go back. Um, so like maybe for her, it's kind of like I have this opportunity to talk to Jack. What am I gonna do? Not like tell them the plan to? They can go. That's fine. And then whatever happens with them happens with them is fine. You know, either they go back mm-hmm. or like, you know, it doesn't work out. Like that, that stuff doesn't. No, really or they matter. die in a fiery plane crash. <laughs> like that's again right. win win. Like I think like, there's sort of like this dispassionate quality towards individuals that many of the big, the biggest movers and shakers of the show dis- display. Uh, whether it's the man in black or Jacob, you know, where they're like, you know, everything is just progress. It, it is like in many ways, it's an equation to these people. Um, and I think like that, those are the ways in which like this show, uh, you know, in in its end game, does like really. 
you know, become very mythical is like the idea of like the cruelty of divine powers of like the right. the hellish monster who doesn't give a shit, but also God's kind of a dick. Uh, yeah. so, like, you know, I think like uh, the the human power players. Um, that stuff kind of like maps onto them to a certain degree as well here. Uh, and I do think that like it feeds into like Desmond's quality, like, um, and, and why I think like what he said was both right and wrong, where he's like, we're just pieces on the board for them. Uh, and like, he's right in that. Like, I do think like to a degree, that is the viewpoint that these people who are like playing the game as it were do feel towards people like Jack and, and Hurley and Kate and whatever. Um, but also it's like a disservice to like your own agency and your own power to just view yourself as a piece. Once you're on the board, you're on the freaking board. Um, so anyway, uh, a lot of word soup as usual. No, I, th- I think you bring up some good points about how you're not completely removed of free will when you're a piece on the board, but it's also like, I think you can be, again, I keep making survivor comparisons, right? But like Boston Rob always says, the best players make other people, you know, go along with their idea by thinking it's that person's idea. And I feel like that's what these movers and shakers do best, right? I'm going to convince this person to do this. This is what the man in black does when he corrupts someone like Claire is. And when he, you know, the sickness happens, I'm going to make you do this because you believe it's in your best interest. To your point, if Eloise does indeed have that consideration or lack thereof with Ben and son, it's the equivalent of when we see Ben later, look to the entire back half of a plane and be like, meh. If they go, they go. I don't really care. And so I think to that point, when we find out more about Jacob and the men in black and why Across the Sea is such a seminal episode of the show is to prove that even the highest, the people at the highest, you know, spots at the table here in Lost are still people at the end of the day. They are flawed human beings. They were human beings once upon a time. And so they are not going to be all good omnipotent they're going to do bad things and we get it here where especially if you are a player and you tend to have people's lives in your hands you tend to not do the best thing for everybody yeah uh yeah there's a a lot there's just a lot going on with these characters and like the ways in which they just like disregard human life and so like are constantly being like surprised when human life claps back uh so I don't know. I think like all of that's like it's it's messy. It exists within this idea of like you got to repeat the circumstances. Like it's just like I just got to get these idiots on the plane. It's kind of like right. The, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go get some shoes. Like Jack, here's some busy work. Go find some, go find your dad's a piece of uh, an item of your dad's and then bring it back with you. It's like giving him busy work uh, to do over the course of the next thirty six hours before right. he gets on the plane. And the other thing too, though, is like you know, um, for for Eloise, like she's probably not breathing easily until they get on the plane because like once they get on the plane and once the plane is like heading off to Guam, uh, she's like, okay, so it's working. But, like, up to this point, she's just like any of these other people who are, like, I'm in the whatever happened, happened race. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like, if they don't all get on the plane, then they go back, but they go back through some means that I have not, like, accounted for yet. And so then I'm out of the equation, and that sucks because then, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm not a relevant player in this anymore. And I don't have, like, my fingers on the pulse, and that's scary for me. Uh, so I think, like, you know, like, you need to recreate everything. You need to bring the people back. Uh, like, I think a lot of that for uh for eloise is just like it's like you can view it as like this is like motivation fuel it's like get these people on the plane you have to go back (laughs) well to that point eloise is going to have a really interesting motivational tactic and this is where we're also going to get a bit of a precursor to next episode that would be much later in in the uh in the nuclear option as eloise says uh tells jack can i steal you for a second 
and they're going to have a tete-a-tete here. Uh, let's listen in here. Sound number four as we keep continuing through sound after sound Crushing. here it, in the lamppost. Come on in. Ben and Son heard what they needed to hear, and this does not concern them. Oh, here we are. What's this? It's John Locke's suicide note. Would you? Obituaries don't see fit to mention when people hang themselves, Jack. Why would he kill himself? There are many reasons, I'm sure. But the only one that matters is this. He is going to help you get back. John is going to be a proxy, a substitute. A substitute for who? Jack, who do you think? You need to, as best you can, recreate the conditions of the original flight. Which is why you need to give John something of your father's. You have to get something that belonged to your father... And you need to give it to John. What? That's what you have to do. My father is gone. My father has been dead for three years. You want me to... And to give it to Locke. He's in a coffin. This is ridiculous. Oh, stop thinking how ridiculous it is. And start asking yourself whether or not you believe it's going to work. That's why it's called a leap of faith, Jack. And again, similar to that power player comment we just made, that comment is so reminiscent to me of the end of last episode, right? With I guess that's why they call it sacrifice, right. John. Like it's it's that similar type of thing of it's a little like uh it's a little patronizing, right? A little explaining, but at the same time it's just really blunt, which works on both jo- Jack Shepard and John Locke of well, this is what it is and you're going to have to do it. Sorry. So I think like like why does she need like does she really believe Locke is a proxy so like does she believe in the like you have to recreate the conditions of your original flight it is ridiculous and it is like the show is it's a, I agree with Jack this is ridiculous yeah, it is ridiculous and like the show is in like the the writing staff is in uh the Eloise Hawking spot of something about how ridiculous it is and ask whether or not you believe it's going to work which isn't totally fair because we saw the start of the episode and we know it's going to work uh so like you know like that it kind of robs us of 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 that tension um uh, in that but like you could choose to just like follow that and just be fine and not really engage this harder or come up with like uh like stuff for yourself that works totally fine that's great uh like whatever whatever read 
works for for you. I think that they're they're like there's like there's a couple of different things in terms of like if you want to like fit it into like what we've been talking about. Like one, it's like uh, is is there a whatever happened happened quality like lock. Locke's body does have to go back so that the man in black can assume his form so that he can go to Richard Alpert in 2007 and bring Richard Alpert to the spot by the Beechcraft where the actual John Locke has showed up so he can give him the compass, give him the bandage, tell him he's going to die, and that John Locke is going to go back in time and give the compass to Richard Alpert. And so like that stuff does need to happen. John Locke's body has to be on the plane. My question, and I like, I'm so exhausted. Uh, is <laughs> is like, how does she know that? You know, like, like how does she, how does she know that? Is that like, does she do some time traveling herself? Is she is there like another angle on that and follow the leader where she she sees that shit from the jungle and she does like the Leo DiCaprio oh type of thing. And this, and this is tough because this is also a big question for Eloise Hawking in general, right? I think we talked about this in flashes before your eyes, like. How does she find out about the lamppost? What what happens after she leaves the island? Uh, you know, whether alongside Charles Winmore does we? I think we allege that maybe she was the first person to turn the the donkey wheel, and that's why it was like you know so stuck there to begin with. It really is a big question mark that they never fully answered, and I do think maybe fleshing out some of the character of what she did in those intervening what. 30 years yeah. to get herself acquainted with stuff off island and maybe keep tabs on island i think would have been valuable if we are to believe that once again she is sort of like this not all knowing but definitely more knowing than a lot of these other characters and if she's not just whistling dixie here yeah there is um you know there's a lot of territory to cover there so like these are ways in which like you can help yourself with answering that is like she kills her son and then um, she, like, dedicates herself to, like, getting uh, Jack and Saeed to the Jughead, get the nuclear core. She's going to go with them all the way to the end of the line because she automatically, like, at this point, like, she's mapped the experience of killing Faraday onto, um, you know, having seen him in the 50s and stuff. So, like, she's like, oh, shit, this is real. So, like, she's, like, down all the way to the end of the line. She's going to drop this bomb. She's in on the plan. She believes herself she believes faraday like she sees the notebook she sees her handwriting she believes in this now um and so she's gonna go all the way and richard alpert knocks her out and like prevents her from being able to do it and something happens whether it's that because like she decides to just sort of like go rogue and assist uh jack and uh and saeed and therefore the other 815ers who are back in the 70s that she like goes ahead and like assists them with blowing up a nuclear bomb maybe it's as simple as that because that would certainly at least warrant a slap on the wrist from the powers that be and if it's put up to a vote it's like yeah maybe she's not fit to be our leader anymore um but whatever happens she stops being the leader of the others charles widmore is going to get that spot it is important to note she's in charge it's not widmore Um, she's the one and then she stops for whatever reason being in charge so is it as simple as like she went on that path she obviously takes it to further directions it brings her to the moment in the in the in the church and the lamppost and the desmond hume of it all so in a, a show where we know that like time travel exists and people can leap forward and backward and then that's all part of the whatever happened happened journey it's not like completely unreasonable to think that like she exists in some, uh, like, her interpretation of events, if she, like, sees things from, like, the 2007 timeline, 
that helps her know, oh, yes, son's got to be on that plane because she goes back too. Uh, Locke's body has to go back on that plane because he's alive. He makes it. She doesn't know that he's the smoke monster, right? Uh, like, I think, like, there there are ways in which, like, there's, you know, 30-whatever years uh, of of story there, um, you know, right. that uh, it's 30 years of story there uh, that she doesn't, um, that she's unaccounted for, that there's a lot that you could just, like, map that onto. But, like, the well, proxy it, stuff is a little harder for me. Well, especially because she also, we, we saw, like, a photo from the 50s, right, of the island. It's almost the, uh, the 50-year anniversary or 50 years prior to 815 crashing. So it could be entirely within the realm of possibility that like if she has certain names that she has been tracking them all along sort of like what the others were doing with with the candidates of following them in their lives almost getting the dossier so yeah maybe she does have a timeline in front of her i want to talk about the lock stuff in this scene though because these this is a revelation to the audience and jack in a few ways because correct me if i'm wrong here josh i do not believe it had been brought up to this point that John Locke had, quote-unquote, committed suicide, correct? This is the revelation of that, yeah. Right, which will end up being proven false next episode. I think that's another reason why pushing back that death works really well, is because I do think... In the nuclear option, yeah. Yeah, because I think if we sit with the idea that John Locke has killed himself, that means a lot. That is It's really upsetting. It's 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 really sad. It's really heavy. It's, like, underscoring, like the entirety of their journey back. It's like now you as the viewer are not just dealing with the absence of this very important character, but like it's giving you like, Oh my God. Uh, like, yeah. Why? What well, happened? Yeah, Cause also, cause also remember that the last time we saw John Locke, right? He left with purpose. He said, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm doing this on behalf of the Island. Like we said, he was more imbued and confident than I think we had seen him in quite some time for him to be driven to the level of suicide. It really is like night and day. We are in Jack's shoes in that moment saying, why would he kill himself? And it's, it weighs extra heavily on Jack too, right? Because it's it's heavy to say, but I think this happens sometimes when you experience the death of someone close to you, especially in that manner. The thought may run through your head no matter where you sit of like, could I have done something? As as nonsensical as it may sound sometimes, you you think again about those branching paths we we go over the course in our life with, and it's this idea of like, well, maybe if I talked to them, if I told them this, then they wouldn't have done that. And I think Jack's feeling that. We're going to talk about their conversation next episode, but I can absolutely feel in that moment, especially for Jack Shepard, the guy who will always shoulder the blame. Remember, this is the guy who in the season three finale says, oh yeah, son blames me or a season four finale when son, you know, son blames me for Jin's death, essentially, even though she doesn't whatsoever. This is Jack saying, oh, my God, this is all my fault. And so, again, whether intentional or not, I think that's another reason why Jack gets pushed onto that plane is because the one guy that kept telling him to do it and Jack kept denying that he could do it ends up killing himself out of despair from Jack's perspective because of that. That hits you. It hits you. Yeah. So I think we there's there's a lot of motivation um absolutely that yeah. happens from this um and so in that way he's a proxy uh because like the death of christian was so motivating for jack during his first tour of duty on the island and you know we talked about it a very long time ago 
uh, started the idea of like John Locke as a as a father figure. Those conversations all the way back in our season one discussions. Yeah, again, that's going back to White Rabbit, right? Yeah. In an episode about Christian Shepherd, John Locke is the one to give him that pep talk of "You have to be the leader." And this is sort of like not even Locke's final pep talk, but it's like do it for Locke in yeah. a way. And to and to that point, the quote she says, "Leap of faith." That comes all the way back to orientation, remember? Not only right. is that the thing that, that Helen tells to Locke, but that's the thing that Locke tells to Jack to have them start pressing the button together. Right. And says That's why it's called a leap of faith. So I don't know, again, if that was deliberate on Eloise's part, how much she's big-braining it, but it's definitely a callback to Jack for that moment. And it's true that John Locke helps you get back. He's a proxy. Uh, you need to recreate the conditions of your original flight. You stop it there and like get like you need to give him something from your father probably is like where it's like ah whatever okay uh but like whether or not you believe in like the magic mumbo jumbo of like literally Locke's body being on the plane is going to be part of like what sucks everybody back to the island or it's the the um the the fact that it's going to help Jack get into the right space right like headspace like it's going to help Jack uh he is a proxy in terms of like he is like he is replacing Christian as like that motivator getting onto that plane and like, uh, you know, being, um, you know, in this sort of like mournful, uh, this mournful Ooh. place. Wait, wait, wait. Could could this be a thing then? And I think Jack talks about this later on where obviously he flew with Christian the first time because he was meant to bury his father. Could this be a thing where a part of Jack's mind is Locke deserves to be buried on the island? So I owe him that much to take his body back there. Yeah, to to an extent, I think. I mean, I think when he talks to him, uh, when he talks to his body in a little while, we'll we'll listen in and like get a little bit more about his attitude. But I think like there is like sort of like a respect quality of like he should be buried there. This is not where he's supposed to be. I think is uh, is definitely alive, unlike John Locke. Um, let's continue our warpath through these sounds right sound number five <laughs> if you could believe it and then we still have this, so this much like, episode in this perspective like you don't even need to have watched the episode because we are just playing it for you stopping down for half an hour but then you watch like another two minutes of the episode this will be the last sound for a minute so we're, we're getting through it but this is going to be the scene with jack and ben in the church and we're going to hear about thomas the apostle we'll apply that to our conversations about Locke. let's listen in sound number five Where's son? She left. And Locke? You mean his body, the coffin? I have a friend looking after it. I'll pick it up on my way to the airport. What did she say to you, John? Nothing that matters. Who is she? Why is she helping us? How does she know all this? Thomas the Apostle. When Jesus wanted to return to Judea, knowing that he would probably be murdered there, Thomas said to the others, let us also go that we might die with him. But Thomas was not remembered for this bravery. His claim to fame came later. 
when he refused to acknowledge the resurrection. He just couldn't wrap his mind around it. The story goes that he needed to touch Jesus' wounds to be convinced. So was he? Of course he was. We're all convinced sooner or later, John. Where are you going? Oh, I made a promise to an old friend of mine. Just a loose end that needs tying up. See you at the airport, Jack. I mean, Jack Shepard in a church? It's an image. It's an, it's image. an image. It's a vibe. Um, also, Ben in a church is a vibe because he's not going to be able to do that later. Yeah. And I, I even love the blocking in it, though, because if you look at Michael Emerson, like his hands are folded as if to simulate being in prayer, but like they really aren't. It almost looks like he's uh he's like faking holding a gun like he's Michael Scott in improv class. So it shows that even when Ben, uh, they're trying to show Ben is, is you know, praying and genuflecting, he really isn't. Uh, he's someone who always has a bigger plan in mind. But yeah, this is a this is Ben channeling Locke, right? Like this is very much to me of Locke talking about Michelangelo and sitting there for days on end before uh, before sculpting David. Yeah, I think that it's like it's it's not quite Ben going through the motions. Like he is like he is so mad, he's so upset, he is so what about me, you know? Uh, and just wants to get back to the island and like have like. And for what, really? Uh, like, you know, he he wants to account, like, what happened to his daughter. Like, he wants to be judged for that. Like, he does genuinely, like, he needs that absolution so he can feel like he's moved on. And instead, he's just going to get, like, ruthlessly conned as a result. But, like, I buy him in this church, like, being somebody who, like, wants that stuff for himself. And yet is, is then going to just turn right around and, uh, like, intend to assassinate an innocent person um yeah. out of out of vengeance so it's like this is a guy who who isn't ready to like square up with his worst self um, yeah that's, and that's why it's so fun is that the way that ben talks about thomas is hypocritical yeah because this story is all about legacy right uh as hamilton says legacy is planting seeds in a ground for a garden you never get to see uh and we deal with this a lot with john locke also makes sense that th- this story of thomas is from the book of john once again but it's this idea essentially of well look thomas actually did some things besides doubting the resurrection uh but people don't remember that they only remember the bad stuff not the good stuff and i think we hear about that a little bit with john locke down the line right you quote this line often but when the man in black says john locke was a sucker right it's this idea of remembering who he was and how his ideals imparted onto others that's why again jackson has sort of come to his defense in the series finale it's this idea that Locke, from certain people's perspectives might be remembered as this bullheaded man who was wrong about certain things rather than some of the other things he was able to inspire people to do and here ben i think to your uh, point is trying to like i think he believes i did so much good for the sake of that island but then he's gonna go pursue this like revenge tour yeah, right i'm shit. trying to, right they're <laughs> trying to kill penny so it's very fun in that regard as well from ben's perspective um all right, so there's a lot going on, and obviously we're just like still like kind of like threading the needle of like, is he dead? Is he not? Yeah. And uh, so this this I think I would say ends the first half of the episode, which I think is incredibly well done. Like I think it is 
maybe some of the best lost we've seen in quite some time, if not ever. Like it's in, from a thematic perspective, it's very strong. Speaks on maybe some of the larger overarching motifs for the first time in quite a while, uh, and I think it's it's just incredibly well plotted out as well even though we do get the expo dump the mission's clear we see jack sola get brought over to the other side here is where maybe we start to quicken the pace a bit much for my liking Mm, yeah all right so this is so jack's gonna leave he's been told he's got like a little more than a day he's gonna go to a bar and he's getting back on the sauce he's about to anyway (laughs) he's gonna give himself a drink um, but he gets a phone call. It's about his grandfather. He's escaped, or he's tried at least to escape uh, from from the retirement facility. Uh, it's Grandpa Ray, or what are they? What is it? Uh, uh, granddad. Granddad. Yeah. What a, what a weird thing. This should have disqualified Jack Shepard as a candidate. Yeah, like yeah, you have an odd name for your Hello, grandfather. Granddad. I don't even I won't even call that a pet name. It's the exact opposite. It's like how you I don't know. Who calls their grandfather granddad? <laughs> I'm sure people do it, but it is really funny. Um his grandfather is played by Raymond Barry, great actor. He's Arlo Givens on Justified. Oh yeah, speaking of con men. Uh among many other characters that he has played along the across the years. Great role in uh, I believe it's season two of The Hunge. Uh, so like he's he's been all over the world this this actor uh, and he, it's a very subdued character that he's playing here as Jack's grandfather who just wants to get out of here and he's like he kind of has a lot in common with Jack of like I don't belong here I want to leave and so like Jack is is vibing on that stuff and I I actually like the the scene like I think like the whole like. Um, what's going on with you, Jack? Whatever happened to the pretty girl with the freckles? You know, like there's like this really sad quality to Jack, like connecting with family for the last time before he's like going to go for, as he says, I'm going to be going away for a while to somewhere better than here, and he's not going to be coming back. And I think that there's like a really sort of like sweet and sad, like melancholic uh, vibe to this this whole scene. But then we do get into the like, oh, those were my son's shoes, and Jack's like, I need the shoes. Uh, like the shoes stuff is just like you know it's a great example mike of like we need to answer the white tennis shoes it's like did you i don't like this yeah i don't know that we need to answer the white tennis shoes well i don't i don't like any of this to be clear i think for me i'm just looking at the character of ray and i am wondering why and it surprises me to a certain extent that darlton wrote this episode Because this feels to me so out of left field. Because let's remember, outside of one mention in one missing piece, we have never heard about this man before in our lives, in in our time on Lost. And yet, this is a character that I guess, you know, they, they contact Jack when he's missing from the retirement home. Jack has seemingly some sort of relationship with him. Why did we never hear of him before this point? Why wasn't he at Christian Shepard's funeral? Why did Jack not tell him that he was going to Australia to deal with his son? This just seems like, this almost seemed comic booky to me in the way of like, hey, here's this character that actually was, from a familial perspective, important to this character. We haven't introduced him up until this point for, you know, reasons, but he's certainly going to serve a purpose here. And I think what makes me most grumpy about this is that there is an entirely more sensical option right there in front of you it's margot shepherd why not go to margot shepherd instead of this random guy ray yeah 
Yeah. Actor availability, perhaps. Um, I, I don't know. But like from that perspective, I wouldn't then invent an entire character and an entire relationship that, again, has never been mentioned before to really build up this scene. This, this is the one Achilles heel. They never me. mentioned Ray before this ever. Except for the watch, I believe that's the only time they mentioned Ray yeah. before. Didn't we canonize that? Didn't we send that to Guam? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I guess by default, yeah, it's, it just yeah. it just seems like, and like if we're talking about a loose end, like this is an end that that came out of nowhere. It's a little sloppy to me, and I know I know that I am nitpicking, but in a very strong episode, no, it's totally fine. This this seems to come out of nowhere for me, and I, I guess I understand that you know, oh, this is solemn because it's jack possibly saying goodbye to him for the last time but again it'd be more meaningful if it was him saying goodbye to his mother i love we that know I, I think if we it was Margo, ha- that'd be better i agree yeah because we, we know they already have a relationship it's his mother so we know that like it does mean something rather than okay we're introducing this character i guess jack also has a meaningful relationship with him even though this will be their first and last scene together and then they're going to leave it, it feels like a bit too much to have to introduce this character just for this plot point when there are other options there. I, I just think it's it's a small misfire, but a misfire nonetheless. It doesn't bother me because I love the actor a lot. Like I have a lot of uh positive associations with the actor. So like he and he's just it's a solid base hit for me. It's not a home run. If it bothers you, I totally get it. If it doesn't bother you, like I'm good with that too. Uh like it doesn't really uh rub me the wrong way uh too much one way or the other. But I hear what you're saying for sure. I, I think Yeah, that, I, I mean I mean this is all to say that this is in service. I think Margo would be better. I think you're totally right about that. And I think that this is all in service of the fact that Jack sees this as a sign, right? He's just basically like, Okay, my dad's shoes, and then the the comment is obviously reverberating in his head about how he needs one of his dad's personal items. And I think this is a moment for him where everything unlocks and he feels like everything is aligning quite literally and so he does have to pursue the this window opening if he wasn't beforehand so again it has a purpose but i think there is definitely another type of scene that can do it but here jack is shoes in hand shoes in hand he's got it they're supposed to go on your feet jack um <laughs> jack is going to go home he's gonna pour himself another drink uh but he does not drink it because someone is here it's kate she's asleep in his bed or just like kind of like crying um and this is where she says i'm gonna go back to the island with you he says what happened to aaron she says if you want me to go with you you will never ask me that question ever again and jack's like okay except i'm gonna ask you twice this season i will definitely bring it up (laughs) but but for now let's boink yeah uh so so here's here's my suggestion i'm really intrigued to get your thoughts on it josh because you watched the rest of season five again in one jump I will say, while you talked maybe about how bringing things back to flashbacks in the latter half of season five is sort of like a resetting things back to normal now that we are are stuck back in time, I will admit I've never been a giant fan of it just because it's sort of like we did all these new things with the flash forwards and now it's sort of and with the dual timelines and now it sort of seems like I don't want to go back to normal you know like I've tried so many exotic foods I don't want to go back to to my my raisin bran uh, not to besmirch raisin bran and so I am not as keen on the flashbacks and things like whatever happened happened and dead is dead and he's are you in that context What I'm wondering is if we indeed make this more of an expanded episode and maybe a way that we can marinate in this time more about how people get on 316, how would you feel if we brought some material from those flashbacks into this episode? I'd be sad. 
um, because I think that you would rob a lot of the power from some really, really terrific episodes that are coming up. Um, I think among my hottest takes uh, on Lost are going to be like how spectacularly high I am on a few of the episodes that are coming up that seem like they should just be like sort of like base hit episodes. I'm mm-hmm. really, 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 really high on He's Are You and Whatever Happened Happened. I think that they're exceptionally great episodes. And a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, of like how did they get back, especially the Kate stuff, the um, the culmination of like the flashbacks and Whatever Happened Happened uh, kills me every time. Uh, like brings me to actual tears. It's like I don't, I don't, I don't actively cry at fiction all too often, and this episode always makes me cry. And a big mm-hmm. part of the power behind that is like it's when you find out why Kate is coming back. It's sort of the same idea of what I think you gain from kicking the can down the road of like what happened to Locke in the nuclear option viewing order is like then like now you get like some distance from it and now it's like i've been wondering about this and here's the answer like that's like the it's like the 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 prolonged reveal the delayed reaction and i think like having a a space of time with kate being here and not like fully understanding why it is she came back only to say like i i'm going back for claire i'm going back to find your daughter i don't think that that has like the same hit now if uh if it happens here in the sixth episode of season five I think, like, the whole, like, we're going back in the sixth episode of season five, like, I know it feels like a marginal difference to do, like, episode six or episode seven. For me, it it it, it definitely improves it to, like, just push it a little bit further down the road and definitely for whatever happened, happened, and, like, specifically for Kate's journey in what I uh, believe, without peer, is her strongest episode of the show. Uh, I would I would hate to lose that. I would hate to lose that from down the line. It would, it would make me sad because it's, like, one of the most emotionally affecting uh, pieces of uh, of the whole season for me uh, would be like coming in way too early. Yeah, I mean, so my perspective is that I do feel like an, an element to me that doesn't work about this episode in retrospect is how many hanging ends we have with some of these characters. Where it's like, we focus so much on Jack that we're like, wait, why is Kate there? Wait, why is Ben covered in blood? Why is Saeed arrested? And while those are fun in the moment to be like, how did they get here? I don't know. I I like I like immediate gratification. I I do wonder if there is some sort of version where we f- we get Saeed, you know, arrested by Alana. If we get Desmond beating the crap out of Ben, and if we get the stuff with Kate that is able to then make three one six more of like an Oceanic Six event and less of a Jack event. Not to say that it's not great as a Jack event in and of itself. But I do wonder if there is more meat on the bone, even though, like you said, it, it prevents those flashbacks from showing up in those other episodes. But to this idea of much like with there's no place like home, right? We're getting all these things from the perspective of the Oceanic Six off island. I think there is something to this idea of focusing on all these other characters, too. Hurley is like barely seen uh, in this episode, despite the fact that these all these characters make very deliberate choices to get on the plane and we're not going to find out those reasons until later on. It's just something that I was personally thinking of. Of Would it be interesting if we made this more of an ensemble episode? Or specifically, if we were making this a two-hour episode, we could add in some material here about what led all these characters back onto the plane rather than finding it out later. That being said, 
as mentioned before, I'm always wrong. You're always right. So I'm probably wrong again in this <laughs> I, case. I think I no. I I think for for me, I think like the the show is usually less successful when it's trying to like answer like long term mysteries and is almost always more successful when it's answering character mysteries. And so I think like the fact that all of these people are coming back to the island raises these new questions of like why how for some of them like saeed said I'd, i'll kill you guys don't come find me and then he's on the plane and he's arrested uh like kate was like very out on it now she's here i'm coming um early there's no explanation at all and you really just get the scene in the instant and that's it and i think like the payoffs to those questions uh are 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 really great uh i think like the like and and i think that like they feed in really nicely to the culminations of these characters here in season five. I mean, they all get on board with making this incredibly dramatic choice. They all get on board with this like ridiculous choice of like, yeah, we're going to try and change fate. Uh, And so like, you have to get like to like this place of like extraordinary emotional power to like put them there. And so I think like you need for me anyway, uh, I, I really crave like getting like those emotional spotlights that you do get in the flashback structure because it is going back like so it's like it's such a it's such a shallow dip back like you're getting some like oceanic six time for some of them um you're getting like stuff that's like part of season five um i think like we are just like so at the core of who they are that the flashback structure for me like really feeds into that in a, in a really um satisfying way uh from from the character perspective it's just my preference uh like yeah. I, I i i do prefer it the way that it's presented in terms of like the individual units of episodic television for me the the biggest issue and it's not even like a game ending issue because i still love season 5 in its normal order i think it's improved by like rearranging it a bit um but like not like swapping the episode stuff for me like i think uh the episodes themselves are like across the board or like smash hits for me in season five. No, I mean, I am excited to get to those episodes for many reasons, but I think it's because again, as I mentioned, I am not a huge fan of bringing back those character spotlights because it felt like a bit going back to basic storytelling when we've done such convoluted stuff, but I'm excited to be wrong. And Hey, if there are people out there who actually like my dumbass idea, please let me know. Uh, so in the, they, they, they do the thing. And then in the morning, they've got breakfast, coffee, milk and two sugars. So it's tasty. This is just like what Kate is incredibly emotionally devastated, very vulnerable part of her life. And she finds comfort in the arms of Jack. Is it is it just that? I think that she's like, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the island. Uh, Don't ask me about Aaron. And then, like, if you believe the canon of the show, they're in love. So, <laughs> you know, uh, but I mean, like they do have years of, of history now under their belts right. too. Uh, so it's not like a completely implausible, unrealistic thing. Uh, no, it's, do. but it's just, you know, the next morning, Kate has some feelings, right? It, like even yeah. her body language is a little cold. Yes. Uh, I think it's clear that she has some regret. She's trying to Kate it out of there and just like leave as soon as possible uh, and this is when Jack's going to tell the story about, like, oh, the white tennis shoes came from the fact that my dad didn't have any dress shoes, which, like, really? He didn't have any dress shoes? We've yeah. seen those. We've we've seen two for the road. Like, he was dressed pretty professionally. Uh, and basically, Margot wanted to have the funeral as soon as they landed, so Jack put on the tennis shoes. But Kate gives this really meaningful line 
why hold on to something that makes you feel sad? Uh, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know, Kate. Why don't you look at whatever the case may be uh, as an example? Yeah. What, a, what? Like, who are you? My therapist? Why hold on to something that makes you feel sad? Wow. Cut me deeply, Kate. Uh, yeah, I mean, if only life were that simple. <laughs> Why hold on to something that makes you feel sad? Uh, it's very profound. Uh, the phone rings. It's Ben. He's covered in blood. He's in a marina. Do you know who else lives in a marina? Desmond and Penny. A mermaid. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, he says, uh, hey, could you go to the butcher shop? I need you to do that. I'm going to be delayed. <laughs> He's just looking like shit. It's a terrifying, terrifying, terrifying thing. Um, and I, I don't know. I, every time I see this scene, it happens so quickly. We didn't pull the sound because it just happened so fast, and it really is so visual. Uh, but yeah. it is, it is like one of the most unsettling, upsetting, and in the moment, like you know that that has something to do with Desmond and Penny, and they really take a long time before they address this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I think that that is good. I think it's better that we don't know this for a while because, like, the tension of like several episodes of like what happened to desmond and penny is very upsetting and uncomfortable to live with but like in one of those ways where like i don't know it's 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 like the kind of discomfort that you enjoy as a as a tv viewer i think (laughs) all that enjoyable discomfort uh yeah i mean listen he's also like carried right he's like covered in blood and so you wonder whose blood is it it'll be his blood entirely yeah his blood so <laughs> yeah, we'll find him. that out in a few episodes yeah, he, he really botched this one uh no bosh is coming up at the end of the season um okay so they're gonna go to the butcher shop where jack is uh and Locke's body is in the back he's gonna put the shoes on Locke's body he's gonna have some words a one-sided conversation with john Locke. we will listen in sound six wherever you are john you must be laughing your ass off that I'm actually doing this. Because this, this is even crazier than you are. And here, you can have that back. I've already heard everything you had to say, John me to go back i'm going back rest in peace so it's interesting because again we talk about jack going down the the lock path but i feel like even here he's still sort of pushing back Right? Like, he gets this letter falls into his lap, and it only takes falling into his lap a second time that he finally opens it. I do feel like him not opening the letter is still, like, that final sign of belligerence, right? Like, uh, the kick of a dying yeah. horse, as Rob Bentley would say, of, like, no, I, 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 I got your point. I understand what you're saying. You were right. I don't need to read your stupid note. It's only when it finds its way back into his hands, he's like, okay, fine, I'll finally open the freaking note. Yeah. Yeah, he still can't do it. Like, he's still just being kind of a dick. He's still kind of resisting it, even as he's, like, on his way toward the thing. Like, he's still, like... I mean, I think that this is still, like, the, like, the... The, like, the wounded, you know, cornered animal who won't... Who can't quite believe that, like, he's being, like, he's he's gonna be... It's the metaphor is falling apart. He's not gonna be safe. (laughs) He's not being adopted. 
He's not get, being given like a nice home. He's going back to the island where he will be dead in like side of two weeks. <laughs> you know, Jack is on a collision course with his own mortality. He will be dead soon. Um, but he is about to get what he wants, which is to go back. Uh, yeah. And John Locke will be proven right. And I think like even in that, even now, even after all of that, it is still just like it's almost just like too much. It's like almost still unpalatable. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, he is is incredulous about all this, saying, you're laughing your ass off that I'm doing this because this is even crazier than you. Like, he is still, I think, writing off Locke to a certain perspective. He's like, yeah, you may be right about this, but you were not right about a lot of stuff. I, I think he still is, he still needs the full baptism at this moment. He, he took a couple of baby steps, but I think his moment's going to come later on in the episode when he actually reads the note. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go to the airport, and this is when we start to see, like, everybody showing up. They just show up. Uh, Jack has like the moment of like this is like the different like uh, this is a much calmer version of him yeah. checking his father yeah, in. Yeah, there's there's no uh, LVP earning uh, a Jira no, ticket agent yelling at him, good. being like, "Sorry, I can't transport the body." Uh, here comes Caesar. Hail Caesar! Uh, yeah, with this cool ass bomber jacket. Caesar, like Caesar and Alana, are both going to make their debuts in this episode. I remember in like the meta, like I remember in like the lead up, like there was like the announcement of these two new characters, or like reports of these two new characters, and there was like a lot of expectations that they were both going to be like crazy important characters, sort of like the new Jack and Kate of Lost. Uh, <laughs> Caesar just like gets destroyed fairly yep. fairly shortly into his uh his run on on the island and a lot only makes it a little bit further but caesar literally is just like a total red herring uh i'm really excited to talk about alan i feel like it's it's been a while since we i mean we talked about charlotte right in terms of like another character with missed potential and we'll get, maybe that's another reason why i i'm okay with like bringing in some he's are you flashbacks is because it at least like gives us a little bit more on alana than just curly haired woman who has saeed in handcuffs but yeah this is the official introduction of ilana the enigmatic character of lost seasons five and six. Oh my god they're just they're just and she just blows up you know like that's <laughs> <laughs> they really just don't care uh at a certain point which i i think sucks but whatever um so yes yeah, jackson talked to son you're surprised he's like i thought uh maybe yeah. you'd change your mind and then this is another thing, and I think this is not even a like, hey, let's uh, let's you know bring in previous flashbacks. Honestly, I just wish there was a scene of Sun deliberating and making the choice to go back. You could sort of connect totally. the dots to this place's death, but like she leaves her freaking child behind, yeah, to go see this guy, which admittedly, as Desmond is saying, like might be a suicide mission. I would have loved, as a Quan lover, I would have loved to see at least one scene where we see her making that choice because we really don't get anything about it for the rest of the series. Yeah, um, I think Namaste is credited as a Frank flashback, which is kind of strange to me <laughs> uh, because, like, he does, like, you do see him, like, land the plane. Um, but, like, it feels more, to an extent, like a Quan episode because, like, you're kind of dealing with Sun in the present and Jin in the past, but because of that structure, there's, like, no room for doing it's like one of the it's one of the few episodes up to this point um season five does a lot of like we're we're, we're like we're largely in the dharma days or we're largely in 2007 like right. at a certain point yeah and, just just like we did with the first five episodes right we talked about how it sort of alternated between one that was focused more in 2007 and one was that was more focused on the island and so like namaste does both and so there's like no room for like exploration of like how sun came back so it's just like another slight 
against Sun Quan uh, in terms of like just like not giving her quite enough. I'm totally with you. I, I wish we saw more of that. I think like especially like knowing what her story is in the end, uh, like I don't know, just give us like a tiny bit more. I, I think like they had a lot of ideas for Sun that they don't fully deliver on. <laughs> the only thing they deliver on is uh, her inability to speak English for that one episode. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah I mean, that does happen. Like Kate, Kate has her big moment, right, where she like leaves Aaron, she abandons him, knowing that like this is the big sacrificial mission that she's pursuing. I wouldn't say I want to see the same thing from Sun, but like Ji Yeon means a lot to her, considering who she represents. I, I would have loved to see some portion of that you know what does she ever even say goodbye to her daughter before she gets on the plane we have no idea um sight is being escorted by alana uh mm-hmm. we'll get there uh hurley is reading why the last man uh yes a terrific von shout out terrific comic book series by lost writer brian k von uh, and also, it's uh, it's another, again, we're paralleling the exact same circumstances here. Hurley is reading another Spanish-language comic book. There mm-hmm. is no Walt to uh, to find the comic book, unfortunately, this time around, but Hurley's reading it nonetheless. Is this a clue that Hurley is going to be the last man? He's going to be the candidate? Ooh. He will be the one? Yeah, I mean, and also, uh, Why the Last Man takes place in uh, in a situation, right, where, like, all of the men sans him died out from a virus, and we're going to be talking about the sickness a lot in Season 6. Yeah, that man in black. Uh, why the last man in black? Uh, I don't know, because they thought it would be cool. Um, so, Hurley, he bought every ticket on the plane. Um, but they're mostly gonna, they're there yeah. he bought every remaining ticket right because we're yeah. gonna see there still is going to be a fuselage full of just regular old civilians but hurley was able to buy out everything from the the front section of the plane which really good on him like this is one of the many reasons why hurley is the best he doesn't guy want them to go yeah he's as like, opposed to and like look at ben who's like ah so who cares if all these people die versus hurley who's like i do not want innocent people to die please give me all these seats yes uh so he wants to uh, he he wants to stop people from going. So like there are like rightful questions of like how are we to feel about the morality of the people who just get on this plane with all of these other people who are on it and let them go to the island. And I don't have much. I don't no, have I much. mean I think it's this idea again going back to faith of I think you forgive yourself of certain sins. If it allows you to meet that intended goal, for lack of a better term, the end justifies the means for some of these people. And I think for Jack and Ben, who sort of spearhead this initiative for Ben, we know he does not give a crap. And I think for Jack, someone who once got told you don't have what it takes when it comes to dealing with death, I think he has proven his father wrong here and essentially saying like, yeah, it's, it sucks for these people, but, like, this is for a larger purpose, and I have to fulfill it. Again, that's very Locky too, right? Locke has said Boone was a sacrifice the island demanded. Maybe Jack is feeling along those lines, too. It's just in more of a unfortunate mass death way. Yeah, it really is. Uh, so Jack and Hurley are going to have their reunion. He's glad he's here. Uh, Hurley's here because Jacob told him to go. Yeah, all Hurley's just going to say, though, is all that matters is I'm here. Just wait until the season finale. It'll all make sense then. So Jack's going to board the plane. Kate's got kind of like this hungover movie star vibe. Uh, Saeed yeah. is not saying shit. 
Then Ben like, shows oh, but up. It, but, it, but it looks like Saeed's about to say something. Yeah. And then Alana erupts him. I mean, it's it's really, again, like small moments that I really like. I really like this entire sequence. I love the music where it is the piano music, which is from that that home theme, right? When the Oceanic Six come home and there's no place like home. But underneath it are like these mysterious, malevolent strings, right? To be like, oh, this is the Oceanic Six leaving, but it is like, you know, the, the, everything's much more effed up than it was than when they came home. Uh, and you have Sun admiring her wedding ring, right? She's she's thinking of Jin. Kate is still, I think, caught up in what just happened with Aaron. And as you said, Josh, Ben says, wait, 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 let me on. A, imagine if Ben didn't get on the plane. But B, if we're talking about proxies, who on Oceanic 815, Josh, nearly didn't get on the plane? Is he the Hurley? He's the Hurley. <laughs> He's murder Hurley. Yeah, I mean, but I think that's interesting given the fact that they work so closely together, yeah, that's right? Funny. That Ben Ben fills the Hurley role here. But I think it'd also be funny in a whole world where Ben's like, all right, we got to get everybody back on the plane if he misses the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Just like throws his hat on the ground like, damn it, why did I have to go try to kill Penny? Yeah, I mean, like Hurley freaks out. Saeed will see like his angle on this and he's our you um uh so ben ben shows up really wants out but no they're gonna keep ben here um a flight attendant gives jack uh Locke's uh suicide note uh they found it it was addressed to him so they gave it to him um jack's jack's gonna ask what we asked like what's gonna happen to the other people on the planet ben goes who cares oh my god i mean this is very much like uh i feel like it's taking a page out of rodney sisto and billy wallace's book too right like, oh, who cares about everybody it's else very, it's all about me 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 very ben um there's glorious chicano music as everybody mm-hmm. is soaring through the sky and jack is gonna like sit down next to kate's like isn't it so crazy that everybody's here we're back together and kate's like just because we're all here doesn't mean we're back together jack yeah, I mean, and that's a pretty meaningful line, too, though, right? It's like, hey, just because we're going in the same direction doesn't mean we're together. As much as Jack has tried to unify everyone, rally the flag, people are here for their various reasons, but it's not like, okay, the Oceanic Six is now together to, like, help save everybody. They're still caught up in their own shit, and I think it's it's a cold splash of water to Jack about how his job isn't necessarily done yet just because they're on the plane. Yeah. Um. So, on the plane, there's a loudspeaker. Uh, and a voice comes over the loudspeaker and delivers uh, one of the great, late, iconic lines of Lost. Let's listen in sound number seven. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Ajira Air. This is your captain, Frank J. Lapidus, and on behalf of the entire flight crew, welcome aboard. Currently, we're right on schedule, flying at a very comfortable 30,000 feet, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the in-flight. Excuse me, man. Mr. Shepard, can I help you? Um, I need to talk to the pilot. Frank Lapidus and I are old friends, and if you could just tell him I'm on board, I'd really appreciate it. All right. But you just have to go sit down because you can't be near the cockpit door when it's open. Sure. I understand. Fly this around all the time. Sometimes I take the big birds into New Delhi. Is that Saeed? 
Gnarly. Wait a second. We're not going to Guam, are we? Frank Lapidus, you go land that plane right now. Yeah, I know. Like, so I just stopped myself from giving him an LVP point. Ooh. Um, uh, because, like, this is such an excellent line. It is such a great Frank Lapidusism. Uh, yep. It's, it's yep. so good. We're not going to Guam, are we? It's so great. But, like, dude, turn that plane around. Yeah, turn the plane around. Like, the, it's you very You know what's clear. going on here. This yeah, is not the, good. The attempt in Jack's eyes is like, this is not an Oceanic 6 reunion. Let's have a great time in Guam. This is like, something's happening, dude, and you are the weapon right now. Turn the plane around. Turn the plane around, Frank. I ultimately can't do it. I can't give him an LVP point because, like, the iconic nature of the line negates it. But, like, he's going to draw dead for me. Like, I can't do anything with him. Um, (laughs) But, man, like, I almost gave him an LVP point. And then it's just like that uh, that Jeff Fahey delivery. We're not going to Guam, are we? It's just so, so good. But man, turn the plane around. Do not what fly do you, this thing. What do you think of Babyface Frank? Um, I miss the goatee, but I also, I don't know, it gives me time to focus more on his luscious hair, his beautiful and, well, piercing well, eyes, and eventually the, the chest the, hair. The eyes pop out more. I don't know, I miss it because I think I, I just love that. I love the, the season four Lapidus vibe. Right between the goatee, between like the Magnum PI Hawaiian shirt. Here he's going to be stuck in that pilot's uniform for the rest of the series. It feels a little sad that like he's gone corporate, you know. But this allows him <laughs> to also break out a bit. Yeah, but I mean, he has gone corporate. Like you know, like he he did what he went out to do. He saved as many of them as he could. He moved on with his life. He picked up a good flying gig. It seems like he's cleaned up his act. Like he's doing great. Um, only to to find out like ah oh, shit terrific i'm involved in more of this They're like even yeah. lana eventually be like he doesn't know what's in the shadow of the statue but he's important i think it's like yeah he's gonna have to fly these people out of here uh, i i really always enjoyed this because i'm trying to remember i know that obviously with the daniel day kim stuff right we were spoiled a bit as to him showing back up on season five i can't remember did jeff fahey show up he in wasn't, the credits he wasn't a series regular yet he's a series regular in season six i think so right I don't, so I don't like believe to so. so to riley's you know essay before about desmond i think frank lapidus was totally a character right you could be like oh i would imagine we'd never see this guy again yes. like he was a fun character but what use do they have for him and so when you it's one of those moments you like realize right before it happens where it's like oh we have to talk to the pilot oh it's frank lapidus of course it is of course it's frank lapidus that makes so much sense it's so much fun all right final sound of the episode is on the other side of we're not going to guam um it's going to be yet another jack and ben conversation as jack is about to finally read what john Locke wrote but he has uh, some questions for ben about reading first how can you read my mother taught me I can read, Jack, because it beats what you're doing. What's that? Waiting for something to happen. And what is going to happen? You tell me, Jack. You're the one that got to stay after school with Miss Hawking. Did you know that Locke killed himself? No. No, I didn't. 
was stuffed in his pocket. I've been trying to get rid of it, but it's like it's following me. I know it sounds crazy, but it feels like John needs me to read it. Why don't you then? Is it because you're afraid? Afraid of what? Afraid that he blames you? That it's your fault he killed himself? Was it my fault? No, Jack, it wasn't your fault. Let me give you some privacy. It was my fault. <laughs> yeah, that's what I keep thinking. I killed him. I did it. <laughs> Benji? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what? Benji? I, that's a, but he sort of does have that feeling here, though, right? Like, I love how cavalier Ben is in this scene. Because he's succeeded in his goal, right? Almost like Eloise. Like, once the plane wheels touched up from the tarmac, he's good. He's money. He's, he's going back to the island like he wanted to be. And he tried to get everything together as he could. So he just gets to sit back and read. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. How could you read? My mother taught me. No, she didn't. No, she's dead. She's you're, dead, you're, dude. You're, you're, you're yeah. the quick draw on that lie, too. Your mother slash wife is dead. She's deceased. Uh, but I, I, that's also a really great Ben line reading, too. Like, yeah. I think the Ben, the Ben sass is in full. He has a few this, this season. There's that. There's going to be like later where uh, the Smokey McSmoker Tin as John Locke is going to walk up to him and say, "Can I ask you a question?" Ben just says, "I'm a Pisces." <laughs> yeah so again which ben is also is, a lie i believe i wonder do you think ben's licking at the hands of desmond has this like uh put him on a new path of just being completely sarcastic he's mad nothing is breaking his way uh and here he is he almost missed the flight back to the island uh i think he's concerned he's nervous in his own way he's trying to distract himself but his whole thing is gonna be like i need to i need to be judged like we ritualistically get judged at the at the maw of the smoke monster. So I need to mm-hmm. go and I need to go and do that soon because I, I messed up. Uh, like, am I allowed to be back? Am I allowed to uh, move on from like what I've done? Will I be forgiven? Uh, and so like, he's just like in that place. And then also like, he's allowing no space for himself to like, take into account that like by murdering John Locke, he helped like make a bunch of people pretty miserable. Like he's sitting mm-hmm. across from one of those people right now. Um, it's a it's a great Ben scene, actually. Yeah. Well, I think it's also the line that I took away here was him, you know, chastising Jack for sitting there waiting for something to happen, because I think that's him sort of belligerently regarding his own one sided relationship with Jacob as well. You know, maybe now he's starting to weigh a bit about what did I do on behalf of this island and where has it gotten me where I've done all these things waiting for something to happen, waiting for me to get judged, waiting for me to essentially uh, reap the benefits of all these things that I did and nothing has happened yet. To that point, I, I think, you know, you do get some some tentativeness. I do think you get some bitterness as well in, in what Ben says there, because him waiting for something to happen is essentially what he's been doing this entire time since he arrived on the island when he was 10 years old. And I think just now he's starting to come around to that attitude that's eventually going to lead him to stabbing Jacob in the season five finale. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to give Jack a moment alone. Jack reads the note. It's simple. 
Jack, I wish you had believed me. JL. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very meaningful. I mentioned before how it's also the connection to John 3.16. What I really like about the opening scene, too, we didn't mention it, but Jack is still hanging on to a portion of the note when he's uh, when he lands on I the wish. island. I wish. And I love that, too. I love that specific section of it because this was Jack's wish. And this was also Locke's wish to a certain perspective. And also wish sort of believes in this this magical atmosphere around you, right? Of like, oh, wish upon a star, yep. wish on a wishing well, if you will, many wells over the course of Lost. This idea of like, if you believe in something, it will happen to you, no matter how ridiculous it may be. Jack made a wish, and that wish came true. You know what else I love about it is that like, in their history together, like it, they're always like such uh, intense dialogue heavy debates right like when jack and Locke go at it it's always just like just like uh so much to say they just both have like these huge points that they want to get across at each other it's always like a terry o'quinn monologue and i'm not mad Mm -hmm. at a terry o'quinn monologue uh but what i but what i love about this is it's simple it's just like this is the chips are down this is the guy at the end of his life he doesn't have a story about the statue of David or like the origins of a trebuchet or, uh, you know, I've seen into the eye of the, uh, of this Island, like that stuff. It's just literally like, I wish you'd believed me. Yeah. It's, it's almost like he's all out of cards, right? Like the facade is almost lifted. All those veneers that he puts himself between as being this all knowing man, he is stripped bare at that moment. And we'll get into more about it next week because we really get to see that. But I think, this is almost like John Locke speaking from the heart defeatingly of just really short and simple, but meaningful. But Jack doesn't have much time to ruminate in it because then it the happens. plane starts shaking. It happens. So, so this is unique. And this is why I think things split off and why the crash is doesn't work the last time it did specifically is this time around, as opposed to just the horrifying scene we saw on the pilot. This time we see, you know, the, the, the flashing and the what? Uh, we we see that you know this plane is going through space and time alongside the island. So this climb is this time is clearly different. Yeah, and I think like you know so like when we see when we catch back up with the uh, with the Ajira plane, um, like the flash will happen and then they are like in broad daylight careening towards Hydra Island. Um, so I think that like you can imagine that they're flying into the island's airspace and they are mm-hmm. interacting with the unique space-time properties that the island is like in this moment in this process of traveling through space like if you do buy that it just like sort of just like it just like it's like whack-a-mole and it just like <laughs> you know it pops down and then pops up on another spot on the earth like at certain points in time like i don't think it's like happening every five seconds because otherwise we really would have seen that on the show in terms of like night and day switch over, but it is going to go from like pitch black to sudden broad daylight. So I think like you can imagine that like they are moving in like in concert with the space of the Island. Um, and that like the, like the unique time pull, uh, and their relationship as candidates. Like I can imagine that world where like, that's what's sucking, uh, Jack and Hurley and Kate and Saeed back to the seventies. Uh, and mm. I think, like, I guess, like, that just means for me, like, I guess Sun's not a candidate. Yeah, th- I which think, I hate. I, think, I don't love that. I just, I think between that and the Jin is Alive stuff, I think, 
I think that's the theory we have, we've settled upon here in on DTH, and I think we'll get into it more when we get into season six. But I think that's the unfortunate truth for for Sun fans out there. I think at least Jin is for the us, yeah, yeah. So so then when the initial eight one five crash, was it just like meant to be from that perspective that they were all meant to land in the same time? Yeah, I think like well, they get like hit by the Desmond electromagnetic thing. It's not like I guess that's true. Yeah, they're so not. It's like, not like fl- it's, it's, yeah. it's not like it touched down like in the island's column necessarily to necessitate the, the time it's, jump. It's not like hitting the island at a time where like the island is about to hop. I think like that's the thing is like they the Ajira flies over the the island on the way to Guam, and like the calculation is like. They're flying over the island at the point in time that the island's about to jump. Right. So I would assume this is like from one of those previous episodes then, right? If they're like in 2007 and the island was about to make a jump with everybody that the plane got caught up in that. Right. I think something like that. I think something like that tracks. Uh, um, here's here's a thing. I'm wondering because now we sort of get like a replay right at the opening two minutes of the episode where we're like, yeah, Jack wakes up. He goes run to find Hurley. So there's been some debate here, Josh, as to whether with the structure of this episode, this is one long flashback or the the beginning and the ending are flash forwards. Do you think there's a world where instead of getting this sort of mini montage, if we just use the flashback timpani to bring us back to Jack and Kate at the side of the waterfall, would that work for you or do you want to see everything again? Um, I don't know. I think uh, I kind of... I guess I kind of love that, like the the beginning and the end of the episode is almost in a in a way it's kind of like tipping off how Lost is going to end because like the the show is going to end as like a mirror image of the way that it began and so on like the time that Jack is like coming back to the island for like that episode to have that sort of same self same beginning and end I think like plays nicely with like the meta of like how the show is going to go. Um, yeah, well, how, how about even better? But we, we do, do waste a, some time here. We do a slow-mo, oddly filmed montage, a la the other 48 days, <laughs> yeah, where we go through yes, Jack running yes, through the jungle yes, to Hurley. Yes, you cracked it. I think that's it. I think that's <laughs> what we should do. Uh, so yeah, he wakes up in the jungle. We get to see it again. We see the the terror of the note, I wish. Jumps in, saves Hurley, saves Kate. They're like, where's Son? Where's Saeed? Where's Ben? Where's Jin? He's over there. The Dharma van shows up. Jin yeah, is in it. And I think we'll we'll play this song as our outro. Uh, it's Dharma Lady by Geronimo Jackson. I used to uh, bop to that song. I loved that song. Yeah, so it's I, I really love this choice as well. It's a really fun WTF ending when you watch through it the first time, right? Because you're like, okay, clearly they wound up with everyone else, but like, why is Jin in a Dharma outfit? I guess we had gotten it revealed a little bit with Daniel Faraday wearing the, the Dharma outfit. You sort of assume that Jin's with him, but you don't know how he got there. But... I like the fact that Jin of all people is the one to find them because let's remember these three people specifically thought that Jin was dead, right? They might be like, well, we don't know about Sawyer. We don't know about Juliet, but they know for a fact from what they saw that freighter done blew up. Jin Kwan is dead. So for all people to find them, it's the one person they definitely thought had, uh, you know, shuffled off that mortal coil, I think is the surprise to end all surprises. Yeah. Uh, here, here's the sweet Jin with the hair. Yeah, I, I season hair five hair is fine. We talked about this actually in the in the Discord. I'm more, I think DDK. He's a great great looking man, but I personally like the the season one and two Jin hair more than like the everyone's trying to do like the Sawyer and uh, and Desmond like Bob. Going so much on. hair, so much hair. Everyone's got so much hair. 
uh, like even Jack, traditional buzz cut guy. He's yeah, got Jack's more gonna, hair. Jack's, I do like. I actually I like comb over Jack more than I like buzz cut Jack. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, that's the episode. That's three one six. That is three one six. We almost took three hours and sixteen minutes to talk about it. Oh man, do you want to keep going? Like, should we do yeah, that? Yeah, we got another. We got another hour in us. Let's play some games. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could do that. Uh, yeah, I love this episode. Uh, it's not perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's it's definitely in that four range. I just settled on a four for me. Yep. Like, there are a few things. Like, I think episode order has an impact for me to a certain extent. Um, I think. Uh, I think like having to do some of the mental gymnastics for the how do they go back for me like i wish i could say that i can just like totally be at peace with it but like i'm nothing if not an obnoxious lost fan uh so like i do need like to reckon with it but like i enjoy the episode quite a bit i really love it as a jack episode um i really love matthew fox's performance in it um there's just like the first like the you know, we spent so much time in like the front portion of the episode. It's just like a lot to put your head around, um, and yeah. it has like the iconic. We're not going to Guam. I just gave it a four. I I really do enjoy this one a lot. I gave it a straight four as well. I think you know it is a near perfect episode of Lost. I think you brought up a lot of of small gripes against it. Of course, I'm not a fan of the Ray stuff, so I think that was the major hit. As well as you know, I I think I'm still of the the hot take opinion that maybe uh, I would personally enjoy more if we had seen more perspective from the Oceanic Six in this episode to see what makes them to make that incredibly weighty decision. But I feel like there is so much good in this episode. And from a Jack Shepard perspective, I will again say what I said in the very beginning of this podcast, that I think this is one of the most important Jack Shepard episodes in serious history, because this is Jack making a conscious choice to not only go back to the island, but I think fully start to believe in what John Locke has been spouting to him for however long they've been in each other's lives. And that's incredibly important for the end game of Jack Shepard. Uh, the first half of the episode, even though it's a bit expo dumpy, I think is very fun. I think Fianula Flanagan does a really great saucy, sassy job uh, as as Eloise Hawking, uh, even with all the stuff that she has to get out there. And it's a, it's a big journey episode for Jack. So I think the macro to me very much outweighs the micro and i think it's got a really great opener and closer as well i would say maybe the strongest opener and closer that we have seen so far in the season yeah uh so i I think it's it's a big episode and it's a good episode so as you mentioned i mean our listeners are sort of like the the map of coordinates that eloise gives jack josh a little all over the place yeah here uh i've seen as high as a 4.1 i've seen as low as a 2.6 and a 2.5 yeah um well i think like you know the, the how do they go back like you could get really hung up on that so uh i i understand that perspective and i think we are in this portion of lost where like that kind of thing happens uh with with episodes moving forward yeah um, i think they're they're gonna they're gonna take a lot of like big swings and declarations which considering how few how little runway they're there they have at this moment uh it's a little tough with as you said for them to try to like wrap things up as well also uh shout out to eric divestein who gave it a 3.16 like uh, i appreciate yeah. the dedication eric. yeah you know sometimes you just gotta do it um that nets out to a three and a half from the listeners it's a 3.84 four three one six right now it's the second best episode of season five as it currently stands i wonder where it's gonna end up overall uh i wonder that as well um okay we're gonna get into some behind the scenes some feedback before we do 
let us take a quick second to thank our friends, our sponsors for this episode of Post Show Recaps. Those are friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. Mike Bloom, we already talked about how this episode was supposed to be swapped with Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham. We've talked a bit about uh, Dharma Lady. A Dharma Lady. Where yeah, from you the, So it's uh, performed by the donkeys, uh, which is the same. <laughs> Wait, Francisco could you say in- that correctly? If you the uh, donkeys, don't like- you don't have it uh, readily available. I'm sorry, Shrekman is not. He left. He walked out. <laughs> he, was he was very angry about the fact that we were going back to the island. <laughs> the donkey. <laughs> uh, which is a San Francisco band. It's an, apparently, it's like an adaptation of their song Excelsior Lady. I'm not sure how uh, they found this group and are just like, hey, can you just do like a, a brief parody of your own song and call it Dharma Lady? But here we are. Uh, Dharma Lady. Really love Dharma, Dharma Lady. Geronimo Jackson. Great stuff. Uh, fantastic song. Um, let's get into some feedback. First of all, we've got an update on uh, the Hurley Dude count. Two dudes. We're up to 211 dudes. Wow. Through, uh, this episode of Lost. Um, do, uh, do, you, do you think we're going to hit 250 by the end of season five? By the end of season five? Yeah. No. I, I, I think you're right. I, I, now I'm realizing that we, we talked before about how besides there's no, you know, some like it hot, there really is very little Hurley in the rest of season five. So I think that makes sense. By the end of Lost, yes. And I think we will yes. be on the other side of 250. Uh, we won't crack 300, I don't think. Two fifty six. Uh, that's that's my guess for the final. It would be Hurley great if it count. was three sixteen. Would be dope. I know. If only. So let's just cram a, a hundred more dudes in there. Um. All right. Some questions about the episode. Andrew S asks, "Why is it so important they bring Locke's body back to the island, but it's not necessary or important that Walt joins them? Um. Because Walt's not there. There's no whatever happened happened quality to right. Walt. And I think as we've theorized, also like the you have to repeat the conditions is a little bit of crack shit." Yeah, so that's the thing, is that I think uh, an understandable gripe, and a gripe that I had for a long time about this, too, is, again, it's like, replicate the circumstances. As we've talked about, I think ben, the Ben Behind the Curtain specifically has said, like, this is the perfect out for you to bring in an, uh, a Walt, or bring Aaron, and, like, really focus back in on that mystery of them being special, and they're tied to the island, and it ultimately doesn't happen. I think we talked about this in the coverage of There's No Place Like Home, that, like, Malcolm David Kelly just didn't seem keen on coming back in a major form. But I do wonder if he does express interest, do they try to bite at this, Josh? Or do you think they feel like, listen, we did the wall thing, didn't necessarily work out. We're not going to come back to that well, even if the actor is interested. You know, I have like I have almost no qualms with season five of of Lost in terms of like the individual units of, of, of the episodes. I love the story so much. I obviously have some bones to pick with the fifth, uh, with the final season, rather with the, with season six. One of them being like, "Bring me Walt. I want to know more. I want to see Walt. I want them to pay that off." Uh, so, I would love. I would have loved it. I would have loved it, yeah. especially because we will get him next week. You know. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is is that it feels weird to like bring him in and then be like, "But he doesn't get on the plane." And we talked about this, I think, about how there are certainly ways I think you could bring him in in a smaller perspective. Uh, than making him a main character, right? Like, keep him in 2007, even, uh, and just have him hang out with that crew. That'd be interesting as well, actually, if you see 
fake John Locke with Walt, the man that he once mentored, you know, back in season one. I think that could have been a really unique dynamic to explore. Could have been really upsetting. Uh, from Av, Av says, Eloise's declaration that they need to recreate the circumstances of their original flight comes off as downright nonsensical on rewatch. Is there any evidence from elsewhere in the show that this is a rule? Charlie's guitar case to stand in for him. But what about the rest of the 815ers? Is having the intended but not actual pilot of the original flight recreating the circumstances? Why is Ben allowed to come? Does any of this make sense? Yeah, we don't nope. think so. Uh, nope. So we think it's a crock of shit. It's that's, a crock of shit. That's but our again, interpretation. <laughs> I do not besmirch anybody for having this take an extreme hit if you're like, oh my god, this is so stupid. Because it is. And that's initially what I thought upon this it's episode. It's ridiculous, is what Jack says. Yeah, I think I think this is one of those episodes where if you look at it from a character perspective and less about like the plot and the events behind it, you appreciate it a lot more. Because yeah, I, I was not a huge fan of 316 back in the day, because I'm like, this is so stupid! This yeah. is so stupid! And it doesn't even make sense, because they don't replicate everything. Uh, so yeah, definitely a lot of threads to tear out here to Ops points. Um, ben Martell is with us. The Ben behind the curtain says Eloise knows that what happens when the flight returns is a little random. She's blowing steam to keep the timeline on track and not raise any eyebrows when things play out the way they do. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, uh, so cause, well, because then you could say like because she also really makes a great move here for breaking down her strategy, I suppose, in almost like allowing herself some wiggle room, right? Where she can say, oh, you have to do it to a certain extent, where maybe if it happens, it's like, oh, you did just enough. Yeah, you didn't have Walt or Claire or Aaron or anybody like that, and you had some extra people, but you did just enough to replicate the circumstances that here you are. Good job. You passed the test, everybody. Champagne all around. Yeah, love it. Um... Also from Ben, Ben Ben really wishes that Sun went back to 1977. Also wants Walt and Claire back on the show. Ben says it was a golden opportunity to bring them back and put Sun in 1977. Walt's been through his growth spurt. He can probably survive until the end of the show without his age being an issue again. Malcolm David Kelly seemed available. But best of all, I think it would have brought some mistrust of Locke. That might have made the final reveal at the end of Season 5 feel a little more earned and less of a cheat. I got to stop and just say, I don't think that the reveal at the end of season five is a cheat at all. I think the end of season five with the reveal of the man in black is John Locke. It's one of the great moments of the show. Um, continue. We're going to have to get into that. Cause I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what my opinion I is. Love but it. I definitely, I definitely do not think of it as a cheat. So I'm intrigued by this. I love it. I think it's so good. Um, ben continues by adding Claire here. You might get an opportunity to tell her backstory and then spend season six getting her back to normal so that she's able to be an equal part of the action with the other 815ers in the end game. Do you think that this is the moment, like in 2007, Mike, that we need to start like getting Claire back in here? Or are you still good to leave that till the final season? I mean, listen, I would love to bring Claire back in. I think the problem with that is how much does that tip your hand to that reveal, right? Because like, if we know that Claire is being in leagues with the man in black, now they land on the island and we have like Ben and Son hanging out with her. You gotta assume that the man in black is nearby, right? And so would that almost tip our hand to that big reveal that he is nearby and that she's also gonna have no line. chill. You know, like she knows she knows Right, that's that, the thing as well. She can't yeah. really hang out with them. She's gonna yeah. come in with like her shotgun and her squirrel baby completely off the edge. I don't know. I don't know. I would listen, I would love to see Claire appear earlier than she does. But I don't know how you do without making it like a big centerpiece of that 2007 era. Um, ben thinks that Sun should go back to 1977. It would improve uh, 2007, where she's wasted, and it would improve season six, where she's already reunited with Jin. 
Uh, it would alter the 1977 storyline some, but I think the writers could make it work. Um, I wish that they did more stuff with Sun. I think one thing about her being in 2007 is you want someone familiar from the 815 crew to be interacting with uh, the man presenting as John Locke. Right, uh, like, you need that constant in a manner of speaking. Someone who is like more of an innocent, certainly more so than Ben, um, Ben Linus, because you then like because you need like to have like the smoke monster is like going to be like uh, consistently saying to Sun like I'm going to reunite our people, I'm going to get you back to Jin, I'm going to do all the stuff, and like he does it with a smile, and he's just lying through his teeth because he's a big, big jerk. Uh, and I think like you want somebody there. Um, and I think Ben's deal is like he wishes that Kate and Son swapped spots. Right, um, I remember this now. I think Kate is really uh, you. You have to change a lot about season five if Kate's not in the seventies. She's she moves a lot of the action uh, in in season five. So I don't know who else you do this with. And my bigger thing is like I wish that they had brought Son and Jin back together again sooner. Right, or, I, would say, I would say, well, yeah, I'd say sooner or have them reunite, give them more time together before the events of the candidate. Because it does, it's what, yeah. it's what, like one episode between them yes. before they die. They they reunite in one episode and they die in the next. Uh, so they don't even get like a full entire episode together, uh, other than the candidate. Um, anyway, the other thing is like you either get them back together sooner in season six, or they don't reunite until the end of season six and they live and they get to leave. Or they die separately and only come back together in the, in the sideways. <laughs> Awful, terrible, horrible. Ter- wor- darkest timeline. Yeah, worst timeline for sure. Um, so Brent the Shower Man asking, did Eloise Hawk- Hawking know how Locke-, Locke actually died? Has Ben lying to her as well? Um, I don't know. I imagine she probably takes it somewhere at face value or maybe thinks Ben is lying. I don't think she really, it matters too much to her. I think Eloise Hawking, she doesn't know, but I think she can assume. I um, think she's like, I know who Benjamin Linus is. He probably killed John Locke, or at least like was a part of this. This guy doesn't commit suicide. Something happened here, but I, I'm going to you know, let him do what he does because it's going to help me succeed in my goal. Uh, the great Brendan Fitzpatrick says, can we assume the man that built this station and did all the calculations was Faraday about the lamppost? I like that. Yeah, I think it's that's an interesting idea. So would this be like... So this would have been Faraday back in the 70s was coming up with all these calculations. Yeah, I like that. I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's got those three years. So though I wonder, does he know about the lamppost or is it just like he happens to come up with the idea? Um, Hmm, good question. I don't know. I mean, he does seem to know so much about the Dharma Initiative layouts. Like he knows about the Orchid. He knows about the Tempest. So yeah, uh, it could track that he knows about the lamppost. And he's like, oh, wait, I built that. Well, though... Charles Winmore hired Daniel Faraday, and it seems like Charles Winmore doesn't know about the lamppost, or at least where it's located. Right, right. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, Daniel Brennan agrees with you. Uh, do you guys... I've got one! You've got one! It's building momentum. Do you guys like the decision to leave it as a mystery for now exactly how Kate, Saeed, and Hurley ended up on 316? Fundamentally reshapes the season. Part of me thinks that 316 is a stronger episode if it had been two hours and showed how each character... Got there. I think that's the qualifier that I'm I'm down with. I think three one six becomes a stronger episode your way. I think it, it yeah. impacts the season too severely for me. I think that's a yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think it's like it's a it's is it worth the trade off or not? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's also interesting in that like this all goes in a row. 
Maybe if, if it had not, like 316 would have been an interesting either like mid-season finale or like mid-season premiere as yeah. well. Well, I, uh, again, like maybe someday uh, if we ever get to chronologically lost, if we ever find ourselves pulled in that direction, uh, I bet that this portion of it is, is you know, playing out a lot of what you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Although, no, because they're going to be in the seven. They're going to it's going to be disjointed. Oh, man, chronologically lost is a little hard for me to wrap my head around, to be completely <gasps> honest with you. Monday, um, we'll get to it. Maybe one day. Um, Jim Fells, the aforementioned, is uh, pointing out something that was on the Hatch podcast. Uh, friends of the show uh, love the Hatch. Jeff Fahey was recently on. They've had a lot of really great interviews in season Ooh. five. You should listen to the Hatch if you're if you're somebody yeah. who is just like I want more lost stuff. Definitely check out what the Hatch is doing. They've yeah, got great and if, stuff. And if you great want content. like actual substantial comment and said like here are two goofballs talking about a bunch of we lost got stuff. our thing. You know we're filling our niche in the in the lost podcast <laughs> exactly. Space. Uh, just being total morons for like seven hours. Uh, that is that is our shtick. Um, uh, from at least Jim. you got eyebrows. I did nonsense. <laughs> all eyebrows. I got was no eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, Jim uh, says the hatch pointed out um, how the Oceanic Six are all just fine with crashing a plane filled with innocent people, and now it's back to being confounding to me of all the ways they could have returned. It just seems so against the whole that person sitting next to you could be your soulmate feel of the rest of the show. Um, There's a lot of blood on their hands, even more so than on Ben's hands when he's at the marina. Saeed didn't have any agency here. He didn't seem great with it. Um, Hurley tried to do his best to you know rule against it. Uh, Jack asks, but only when it's too late. And Kate and is would, like deep in her own bullshit at this point and wants to just find Claire at all costs. And I would um, also say that I think Jack, Kate, Son, and especially Ben are again all people who sort of can see the the end justifies the means, as I mentioned before. Right? Of like some people might have to die if it's if it's in the greater sacrifice of succeeding in this big goal. So again, specifically like a post-Oceanic Six son, I could totally see doing this, right? Considering how she was ready to Forrest Gump Ben right there. Yeah. <laughs> Forrest Gump. God, I love it. Uh, from Ross. This is one last one before we uh, get into MVP, LVPs. Ross writes in, uh, you're getting to one of my major gripes with the series, the one that keeps me up at night. Oh, no. Oh, no. And Much like a baby. Feel, it leaves me feeling unfulfilled uh, when I think about Lost. Gion, the character, uh, son leaves her baby with Mrs. Paik, not knowing that she and Jin will not come back. While Mrs. Paik is pretty decent, Mr. Paik is not. Is she just raised by the Paiks? Um, my hope is that after Mr. Paik, you know, sort of like uh, loses his, his hold over the company. Goes to jail. Mrs. Yeah, Mr. Mrs. Pig says, get out and stay out. I don't want you around here anymore. And so now this is like a strong single grandmother raising Gion, teaching her how to be the strong woman in this world like her daughter was. Yeah, for me, um, when I created the Lost Sequel Island in Animal Crossing, part of my narrative was that uh, Gion uh, came to the island under Hurley's protection uh, and was raised by Hurley. So Hurley like kind of adopts Gion. And what what age would that be then? Do you think? Uh, I don't know. She's a kid, and he came uh, brought her to the island. I'm, you know what? Actually, you think what uh, what would be fun if Gion is the same age as Ben was when he arrived on the island, right? Like, still is able to like realize what's going on, recognize the circumstances, but is also at a formative enough age that Hurley can welcome her with open arms. So really, just like Harry Potter, she only has a few years with the Dursleys before she goes off to this magical land. I have it like in my mind as some sort of like benevolent Beetlejuice situation, uh, <laughs> where Showtime, where, dude. Yeah, where where Hurley brings G onto the island. She's a kid. He's like, yeah, so your parents died. It sucks, dude. But 
they're ghosts and I can talk to them and so can you. <laughs> and so like, uh, it's all just like one happy family. Hurley is like ghost conduiting the way that he does for Richard Alpert with Isabella. Uh, yeah, that's how I had Gan in it. That's what. Well, that's interesting. Next. So now the the Quans can now all live together. It's just that two of them are dead. Yeah, that's so, it. So yeah, so Gion is the Delia here. Yes, exactly. Um, before we leave this portion of the Lydia, podcast, sorry, not Delia. Uh, we gotta. Do we need to place the battered Benjamin Linus, the mysteriously, <laughs> the mysteriously ass kicked Ben? Do we need to place him on the the Benjamin Linus beatdown counter? Mm. I don't think so. We, I think we hold on we ha- to that. Yeah, we have not seen the full circumstances of the beatdown. Yeah. I think I think we hold on to that until dead is dead when we see it happen. Uh, if we were keeping it, would would you already rate it pretty high? I mean, it's tough because like we don't actually see the beatdown. You know, like I feel like in order to, the order implications to make this- of it are so great, <laughs> right? But the implications of it are great. But I feel like it doesn't. It feels like it doesn't even matter to me until we actually like. Let me see fist hit face for it to count as a beatdown for me. Yeah, yeah, fair, 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 fair. Uh, all right, uh, twenty three points, Mike. You've got two MVPs. I've got three. You've got three LVPs. I've got two. Uh, we're both giving MVP points to Eloise Hawking. She gets yeah, them. To, she, she gets the last one in. She succeeded. She was she able to succeed in her goal. She was able to get a lot of information out quick. Was able to convert even like the most stringent non-believer into actually doing this. Even having him get his freaking father's shoes for no particular reason. Like this is a great episode for Eloise Hawking. Yeah. Uh, partly convinced by Riley, I will give a point to Desmond uh, for mm. just being like, you know what? No. I'm not going to be involved in this, you jerks. Well, well listen, you. I think I think Desmond is going to because I think he'll get one more point for the aforementioned beatdown of Ben. So I think, despite only appearing in like three episodes of the season, Desmond might end up with having a point in each of his episodes. Mm. Um, all right, who do you got? You got uh, one more. Oh, I got MVP. one more. Yeah, so I'm going to give one to Hurley here for again being a genuine human being and trying not to cause as much of a mass extinction of these people aboard the plane as possible. Yeah, I think that's fair. Despite not seeming to give much of a shit about these people until it's way too late, I will give an MVP point to Jack Shepard. Uh, I think it's a really strong Jack episode. Uh, him just like you know being like kind of like uh, breezy and back on the island is just like a really refreshing look, and it's the start. It's the start of something new. It's, it's the start of something new. It's the start of uh, Jack, uh, if not like outright redemption story or whatever. You know, it's less about that and more about it's like Jack's actualization. Um, I I love where we go with the character from this point moving forward. Yeah, um, and, and that's also a great Matthew Fox episode as well. Again, like I think the transition that we see happen with Jack's character, Matthew Fox maps very well, and I'm, I'm on board with him. It's, ever since that very first scene when he wakes up and he just has like the biggest smile in his face and shock in his eyes. It's a very good performance. Uh, LVPs. This is a tough one. It's, there are very few LVPs I think in this episode. It's a hard episode to give LVPs for. I just ended up giving two to Ben because like he went and tried to kill Penny and what a dick and he botched it. So like you get an LVP point for like being terrible and trying to kill Penny and you get an LVP point for just like absolutely blowing it. Yeah, well, I'm going to give him an LVP point as well for not giving a crap about killing multiple people and also expressing it, right? Like, these other people might be guilty about it, but Ben has outwardly said, I do not care how many people yeah. die. Yeah, 
Um, you've got two more LVP slots. I've got two more. One's going to go to Ray here, uh, and part of it is due to my derision of the scene that he appears in. The other one is actually pretty latent, because remember, when he does pop up in the watch, it's when Christian Shepard says, like, oh, well, my dad told me the day before my wedding that I shouldn't marry Margot Shepard. Ray is a dick, and so Ray is going to get an LVP point here. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> and the and the other one, I'm going to take a page out of your book here, Josh. I'm going to give a death point here. We don't exactly see it happen, but I think in commemoration of something off screen, uh, the poor three one six passengers who do not make it safely onto the island, who perish during the plane crash. I feel so terrible for the them. The new Gawkers. Yeah, uh, Gawkers the next generation. Yeah, we'll call them Gawkers 2 Electric Boogaloo. Uh, the sec- <laughs> second round of Gawkers. Wait, Gawkers 2 Electromagnetic Boogaloo. Yes, I think that's exactly what we will call it. Um, all right. Uh, so there's a four-way tie at the bottom right now uh, between Frogert, Charles Widmore, Montand, and Benjamin Linus. What a Mount Rushmore. You know, uh, there are going to be two characters showing up here relatively soon that are going to clean up in the LVPs. But that negative four head start for both Ben and Widmore is formidable. Uh, so mm. this is going to be really interesting. Meanwhile, still at the top of the pile, John Locke with four MVP points and Mike next week uh is our last opportunity until technically i guess follow the leader uh where you yeah, see uh where you see john Locke in uh like time travelish mode via richard alpert uh and also if you really want to give like his body an mvp point in the incident i suppose you could and this uh, is this like a montan's arm thing where if it's his body does that count instead of john Locke himself no i think you give it to john Locke if you're giving it to his body uh, even though in season six, he'll say it's just his body. It's not him. Um, John Locke is going to die next week. We are talking about the life and death of Jeremy Bentham. It's the next episode sequentially, though, if you were going by the nuclear option, which we will post in the show notes, you'd be watching this a uh, few more weeks down the line. But next week we are we are going in show order for season five. Um, life and death of Jeremy Bentham next week yeah it's a big one because i mean let's remember we talked about this with this place's death how weird is it to view it from the angle of this is the last time that john locke spends time on the island this is the very last john locke episode until you know the sideways stuff this is the last amount of time that john locke spends time in this mortal plane and it is a sad sad episode it's tough in so many ways it's a it's a tough episode but I'm excited to talk about it because I think it's also an excuse, much like Riley did in this episode, I think, for us to memorialize the character of John Locke a bit and see, you know, how was it unfair what happened to him? How much does it tie into the tragedy of John Locke as well? That the final thing that happens is he ends up getting tricked by someone when he's he at, tries you know, so hard. He tries so hard. Yeah. And then he fails and then he gets tricked and yeah. dies because yeah. of it. It's it's a really pitiful way to go and i'm really excited to use this as a distillation of john locke characters overall and i think i'm gonna imagine that this is i this is probably the episode that won him the emmy right i'm assuming uh i don't remember off the top of my head we will look into that because i do believe i do believe toq wins for this season but i can't remember which episode Uh, rightfully so uh this is a great season for toq uh for sure um all right so we are going to be uh recording that on i believe it's going to be june 22nd uh, is when we are recording 
the life and death of Jeremy Bentham. So do us a favor, get that feedback in by June 21st. Uh, we want that feedback down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com, or you could tweet at us at Round Howard at a Mike Bloom type, or you could join us in the Post Show Recaps patron Discord uh, and send us your feedback that way in the Down the Hatch channel. Um, one of the great communities of all time, let alone on the internet, is the Post Show Recaps patron community. Join the Discord. You're going to want to do it. Patreon.com slash Post Show Recaps. Among other things, you're getting you're getting down the hatch two days early. What a joy. What an yes, unbelievable uh, honor and, and privilege. And let me s- spare you all uh, the two days of feedback that I'll get. Uh, I mix it up. Uh, John Locke actually, Terry O'Quinn actually won all the way back in season three for the man from Tallahassee. It's Michael Emerson who will win for this season. He deserves it. He did great. For- for dead is dead but yeah this is a big toq episode another thing if you're a patron of post show recaps is you're going to get access to a lot of patron only podcasts including an old relic that josh and i are dusting off called the wiggle bloom it's been a while since we've done it it's just a podcast where josh and i get on the line and do some stupid crap mm-hmm. uh, this time we're getting together with the great puya zanvakili josh you're going to get into doing some tier lists here uh we're going to do a tier list of fictional universes to live in from pop culture and spoiler alert lost is going to be on there or is on there if you're listening to it on friday i've uh i've never uh tier listed before i'm so, so excited happy, about this yeah happy to uh to pop your cherry floating in a drink <laughs> right now that cindy is serving up oh so it'll be very fun it'll be a podcast but we're also going to be streaming on uh puya's twitch as well so if you're listening to this on wednesday we'll be live thursday afternoon at 1 p.m eastern doing it over at twitch.tv slash puya but that's going to be a very fun time and that was suggested by the patrons of post show recaps um incredible i'm really excited to do it i think it's gonna be super duper fun you'll be able to get that podcast in the patron feed so consider it patreon.com slash post show recaps is the way to get it. Now, Mike, I believe you promised some Geronimo Jackson on our way out the door. Uh, we'll be back next week with the life and death of Jeremy Bentham. Until then, everybody take care. Bye-bye. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.